This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me for a crazy high-concept episode that I have no idea if we're going to be able to execute or not, it's my good friend and yours, the second week in a row that Brian and Elon back together. It's Brian Com. <laughs> hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. High-concept is a really interesting way to phrase this. It makes it sound very haute couture like we're doing something really fancy when like i think you mean flighty concept lofty quixotic something weird that we're not sure how it's gonna land but we're ready to go ahead and give it a go anyway who knows maybe it will be the start of a brand new keeping carlson tradition maybe or maybe it'll just be the best episode of all time and people will be reliving it and playing it every year going back and listening to the same episode instead of us having to do a new one i don't know what i'm talking about Maybe it'll be so good that we just end the podcast because we we have achieved our full actualization and we retire on top. Okay, so this is the last episode ever of Keeping Carlson, and this is what we're going to do. If you check your calendars, you're probably listening to this on Monday, but for me, it's Sunday at noon, which is a whole other crazy thing. I prepped this whole show last night. I came home at like midnight. I prepped from 12 to 3. I went to sleep. Now I woke up to record this podcast. So if my notes make no sense, now you'll know why, but I'm going to try my best to interpret it in the light of day. Anyway, it is March 1st right now, and you know what that means. What does it mean? It's March Madness, baby! Wow! The Mark Ken, you're playing that out of. Sounds great. Okay, well, I'm doing my best here, Brian. I've got this on my phone while I'm going to keep it playing. It is March, which means we are going to do a bracket. And a bracket of what, you may ask? Well, let me tell you, okay? This is the <laughs> idea I came up with. Let me know if this makes sense. We've had a whole ton of players change their fantasy value over the past week. There was the trade deadline. Players got moved around. There's like a million injuries. Very depressing. We've had some players just randomly go on hotter cold streaks that we weren't expecting. So I'm going to wrap up all of these news items that I'm going to bring to you. And we're going to have a bracket of who do we think's Yahoo percent ownership is going to change the most from now until the end of the season based on this change? Uh, we'll see how this works. Okay, Brian, but I've got uh, four divisions, one for each conference, I guess four regions, as they call it in the uh, NCAA world. And for each region, we're going to determine a winner. And then we're going to have the number one player that we think's fantasy value is going to change the most over the next couple of months uh, or one month, I guess, before the end of the season based on their... Yahoo percentage owned. That's the plan. 
Wow, that sounds really exciting. I also wonder, Elon, speak of the NCAA world, if you heard that music completely out of context, would you know it was the March Madness music? Okay. I knew our new opening theme. Also, we should mention before we get too far that this episode of Keeping Carlson, like every episode of Keeping Carlson, is presented by the folks over at DauberHockey.com who were busy on trade deadline day. Holy cow, the fantasy impacts of every single deal. You can go find very thorough players you've never heard of who were impacted are talked about over at DauberHockey.com, not just on trade deadline day, but all season long. And of course, we use frozen tools a ton to prepare for those for this show. So again, head on over to DauberHockey.com, our presenters. Yeah, it is a great site, and I was all over it on deadline day. I'm all over it all the time to prep the shows. DauberHockey.com, Frozen Tools, Starting Goalies a Goalie Post. It's the best. Okay, Brian, so let's get started here. Oh, yeah, if we disagree on a specific matchup, I've got the Medallion of Power back. You can see it here. I'm holding it in front of the camera. Uh, Brian, I'm going to give it to you to start. So if we have a disagreement, you get the first veto decision, and then it comes to me after that. Okay. That's the plan. Let's start in the Pacific Division. I decided to order this because I don't, you know, it's also arbitrary and reductive to start ordering these things off the bat. So I'm going to go by for each division, uh, going on players on the teams that are ranked the highest in the standings. So that means we go to the Pacific and that means we go to the Vegas Golden Knights. And we have to talk about Mark Stone, who missed Friday's game versus Buffalo with a lower body injury. He's still in the process of being evaluated. So who knows? Fingers crossed this may just be a short term thing and Mark Stone will be fine and back next week. <laughs> Ala Kyle Yamamoto was apparently a superhuman and goes from a almost like whatever broken ankle to all of a sudden he's day to day. But anyway, Mark Stone, while he was gone, a familiar Vegas ringer jumped into his spot. Our good friend Chandler Stevenson jumped into playing Stone's place with Pacioretty and William Carlson. And hey, Stevenson assisted on a third period William Carlson goal in their last game. He also had a shot in 17 minutes and 36 seconds of ice time in Vegas's last game. Uh, there was no power play to analyze, unfortunately, on Friday's game. Uh, maybe Carlson jumps to the top power play, though. I would think maybe that's a spot where William Carlson, you know, has a good even strength situation, not a great power play situation. I'm wondering if maybe he benefits from the power play, uh, but Chandler Stevenson is the one who benefits at even strength. So the first matchup, Brian, is going to be Chandler Stevenson versus another player on Vegas who also had a big deadline change, and that's Alec Martinez, who was traded, actually not at the deadline, a little bit before, but he was traded from the Kings to the Golden Knights for two second-round picks a couple weeks ago. It seems like it's been a huge impact for Alec Martinez so far, right? He had a goal and assist versus Tampa, nothing versus Florida, then he's had two straight two-point games versus Anaheim and Edmonton before then having nothing versus Buffalo, but you add that all up, two goals and four assists in five games, six points in five Five games for Alec freaking Martinez. Also, eight shots, eight hits, 18 blocks in those five games. And he's seeing second power play time. To me, it seems like a no-brainer that Alec Martinez is someone people should be looking to add, especially in bangers leagues. But I'm curious, obviously, to know if these points are for real. Uh, Vegas also got Robin Leonard, but it's enough Vegas. And it seems to me like that's that one's pretty obvious. Leonard's still a 50-50 timeshare goalie, just now maybe on a slightly better team. But Brian, so our first matchup of our bracket is going to be Chandler Stevenson versus Alec Martinez. So why don't you dig into both and then tell me who you think should move forward in the bracket, whose value has changed the most. I think in this case, gone up the most based on what's happened the last week or so. 
So Chandler Stevenson has been half decent in Vegas when playing anywhere in the top six there. We saw when Stasny was out for a bit, when William Carlson was out for a bit, Stevenson got turns and could often make at least a little something of them. It's kind of weird that Vegas once again seems to find someone who can just slide into their top six, uh, capable of playing top six center essentially for free. They did not give up very much to get him. Of course, Mark Stone can make any centerman look top six capable, but I think Chandler Stevenson deserves some credit for what he's done there as well in being a guy who can pick up uh, one or two points every few games while playing with some high quality line mates in the top six in Vegas. But then you look at Alec Martinez, who is just filling categories left and right in Vegas. He's doing more of everything since being acquired by the Golden Knights. He's hitting, he's blocking, he's shooting, and of course, Martinez is also pointing more than he was in LA. In 41 games as a king, Alec Martinez had eight points this season, and he now is almost up to that same total. He's got six points in just five games with Vegas. So Alec Martinez is on fire on that top pairing with Shea Theodore, and being on the second power play unit is a nice little bonus that might pay off a point here and there, but of course, nothing we really count on for production. So if I'm looking at which guy's value has changed the most, whose ownership is going to change the most from today to the rest of the season, uh, I think it's got to be Alec Martinez because Chandler Stevenson is very much a point or bust kind of guy. He often gets zero or or one shot on goal, no peripherals, and he's also not a fixture on the top power play, even though he's gotten a turn. Also not a fixture in the top six once Mark Stone is healthy, which we don't know when it's going to be, uh, but it could be very soon. It could not be. In any case, we don't know when it's going to be, but Alec Martinez is going to do something to fill categories each night and is playing with quality enough guys that hopefully he can get back to his 35-point pace days that he had back when LA had like a thorough depth chart not full of just random guys. Also, you're looking at uh, ownership, uh, like value, and seeing that, uh, you know, more teams might be looking for a defenseman than a centerman right now, which is also going to help Martinez's value and ownership numbers go up. And that's why I think he should move on in our very first bracket matchup uh, over Chandler Stevenson. Yeah, I agree. No brainer there. Alec Martinez, I think, is poised to go on a nice run in today's episode. And But Chandler Stevenson, just keep him in mind for a short-term stream if you have room and Vegas has a good schedule for you or you could use a player not too bad playing with Pacioretty and William Carlson. Okay, so let's go to Edmonton now. We're going to have another pair of players facing off against each other in the next Pacific Division matchup. Both Andreas Athanasiu and Tyler Ennis were traded to the Oilers at the deadline. Uh, they also traded for Mike Green, and he promptly sprained his MCL, and he's going to be three to four weeks so let's forget about mike green classic mike green yeah so uh the short shifts guys thanks again to ben and lewis for that awesome deadline day extravaganza episode back on monday they looked at the trades from the deadline they pointed out "Ooh, athenas has gone to edmonton we should definitely talk about that they didn't even mention tyler ennis i don't blame them no one thought about him but in the end both athenas and ennis ended up landing in those coveted wing spots flanking connor mcdavid on the top line and they both have looked like pretty similar right like both picked up a goal and an assist in their first game on the oilers neither of them got any points in the next couple of games and had a touch more ice time uh, yesterday in the win over the Jets, and has played 1427 compared to Athens CU's 1346. Um, neither of them seeing power play time. And it's, by the way, seven shots on goal versus AA's only three. So, Brian, let's just make this a matchup between these two guys. Obviously, both interesting now that they're both playing with Connor McDavid as opposed to, you know, Ennis was on the Sens. And actually having a pretty impressive season. Athens CU was on the Wings, having a pretty disappointing season. So, Ennis was already someone that was better for most of the year. Now they both play with McDavid. Who knows how long it will last? But 
yeah, what do you think about these two guys? Who do you think's fantasy value is going to be the highest by the end of the season? Because I think going into the trade, both of them were pretty low. Now, both very, very interesting. They are both very interesting. If I could post a GIF to a podcast right now, it would be the one of the two Spider-Mans looking and pointing at one another because Athanasio and Ennis share a lot in common. If you're trying to figure out who's the best guy to own the rest of the season, whose value has risen the most because of their change of team post-deadline, they're both speedy wingers playing with the most talented and positive point-influencing player in the league in Connor McDavid. They're both on point paces right in the mid-40s before being traded, and now uh, they're also both pacing for about 150 shots on goals. So Athens, you and Ennis have a lot in common coming to Edmonton and being asked to do essentially the same job, which is play to one side of Connor McDavid. One difference between them is that Ennis throws some hits, and also, more, maybe more importantly, uh, he's also the least, the less likely player to tick off his coaches. Ennis has always had that sort of work hard guy kind of edit in the NHL versus Athanasiu, who had several knives planted firmly in his back on his way out of Detroit as a guy who allegedly would just try and make a play for himself to score a goal and forget the rest of the game. I don't know how much to read into those exactly. You can never really trust media coming out negative media coming out about a player after a trade, especially when that player doesn't necessarily look like the rest of the NHL. Uh, anyway, I'm curious to see if any of this is true for Athanasiu and Edmonton. I mean, when you're on with McDavid and you have defensive deficiencies, they kind of get hidden because your team is going to have the puck more often than not in all likelihood. And teams are just trying to shut you down rather than take advantage of you being on the ice. Um, but it also looks like Athanasio has somehow already done something to take off his coach uh, and might be in Dave Tippett's doghouse already, which makes some sense, knowing how Dave Tippett has coached in the past. Athanasio was bumped to the third line to play with Riley Sheehan partway through Saturday's game. And Josh Archibald is the one who got bumped up to the top line uh, instead of Athanasiu. He also had an 11-minute game in Edmonton already, which I, I don't know the full background of and why he was limited to 11 minutes, but it's still concerning that already Athanasiu is uh, sort of whiffing on expectations on a, on a fresh start in Edmonton. So that's why... I like Tyler Ennis here. I mean, we loved Athanasiu going into the year as another potential Red Wing who could break out because they were going to need him to be in big time uh, situations and who had shown an ability to shoot and score before, but he never really got that deployment or could stay healthy long enough to hold uh, some really positive deployment while in Detroit. And I'm concerned already about what he's showing in Edmonton. So that's why, yeah, I like Tyler Ennis. Tyler Ennis definitely has the the better floor, but Athanasiu has the upside. So you can pick your flavor if you want between the two. But this is a bracket, and I need to pick my flavor for who at least deserves to see their ownership rise the most. Uh, Ennis is at 22%. Athanasiu is at 47% right now. I think Ennis' is going to be closer to Athanasiu's by the end of the season than it is right now. Yeah, I agree. I was ready to argue with you. I thought you were going to say Athanasiu for sure because you've loved him for so long. And I was maybe going to be like, oh, too bad I don't have the medallion of power. Because I like right away, I just look at time on ice. And then also, like you're saying, potentially line shifting. I know Athanasiu went day to day for a little bit during the week. So I don't know if that had something to do with the low ice time. Maybe he nicked something up. But at the end of the day, 
you never know with Edmonton. They also have Zach Cassian, who could potentially get back with McDavid. They played together for a while, so that's someone who could bump one of the players. But early signs are that Tyler Ennis is doing well. And yeah, I would definitely look to grab him because I think Athanasiu was grabbed in most leagues or a lot of leagues as soon as the trade was announced. And Ennis might still be out there. And he's very interesting to me. So yeah, maybe a little bit of an upset. Ennis is moving forward in our bracket. Like I said, by the way, Kyler Yamamoto might be back as early as next week. Uh, it was Zach Cassian playing. He returned from Cassian returned from his suspension. He was playing with Dreisaitl and Ryan Nugent Hopkins yesterday. So I'd imagine now Yamamoto goes back on that line with RNH and Dre. And then maybe Athanasiu, Cassian, McDavid, and Ennis. Like three of those four make it on the top line. I'm pretty sure McDavid will be one of them. And we'll see what happens with the other two. Okay, so Brian, why don't we just move forward here? We have Tyler Ennis versus uh, Alec Martinez here. That's going to be the semifinal of the Pacific Division bracket. So why don't we, since we have these guys fresh in our mind... Who do you think? Now it gets interesting, right? Martinez and it's both guys who are definitely getting huge surges in their value right now. Who do you want to move forward to the finals of the Pacific? Okay, now it gets tricky because I, I haven't, I didn't actually, when I prepared for this show, I'm like, I know who's going to win the first round and I did not take it further because I didn't know who you were going to pick, but I guess I have both my picks. I have Martinez and Tyler Ennis. Elon, I feel like I'm going to go... Well, here's the thing with Ennis, is that Cassian's still in the mix, right? Chieson's still in the mix. I feel like there are some moving pieces in Edmonton. Yamamoto's still in the mix. Like, we haven't actually seen an Edmonton lineup with everyone in it since Ennis ha- and Athanasio had been acquired. Uh, because Yamamoto, as you said, was week to week. Now he's day to day, which is fantastic. But... Uh, I imagine he slots in on the second line where Cassian was, but then does Cassian just get booted out of the top six? Personally, I think he should be. I just don't know if he will be. And I imagine Ennis stays on the top line if anyone. Ah, uh, this is really hard. Uh, All right, Brian. Here, first? let me give you a let me give you a tip here. Okay, let's not, let's not overthink this. Okay? okay, it's just for fun. It's just a frame <laughs> to to make the show more interesting here. So I I'm gonna vote Alec Martinez just because Tyler Ennis. You know, I love his spot. I think he has the higher upside, but Martinez just seems like a solid guy getting big minutes. Love the peripherals. I think that he is gonna prove himself to be a really valuable guy in fantasy rest of the way. Ennis, it's like maybe closer to fifty fifty. But I still think he'll be great. I'm voting Martinez. I will go with Martinez, too. He's definitely got the better floor. Ennis has the higher ceiling, but it can't be that much higher. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Martinez as well. Okay, so we're still in the Pacific Division. Let's go to the bottom half. By the way, you could check out keepingcarlson.com slash bracket, which doesn't exist right now as of the time of recording, but I'll I'll set that up by the time this episode is released and you can go see the final results of who played who and who got forward. And obviously the patrons of Keeping Carlson will not only see that link, but also our show notes where you see the breakdowns of all of our opinions on these players. So, you know, patrons of Keeping Carlson, one of the perks, you get access to our show notes and you can still sign up for that keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Let me give you a little trick, a little Patreon trick trick for you people. I'm throwing in, I guess, a little minor ad here. But uh, today is March 1st, which means you've missed the payment day for Patreon, which means you're not going to get charged until April 1st. If you want to be really sneaky and be like sort of, not a scumbag, but like a little like sort of sneaky move, you could always like sign up now to be a patron and then leave by the end of March and you won't even have to pay anything and you'll get access to all our patron perks. So it's like a way to get a little sample free trial. So why not? Keeping Carlson.com slash patron. Throwing it out there. Okay. So Brian, let's go to the other side of this bracket. We go to the Vancouver. Vancouver Canucks, uh, Jacob Markstrom suffered a lower body injury last Saturday. He underwent a minor procedure. He'll be reevaluated in two weeks. So far, Thatcher Demko seems to be having a bit of a rough go of it as the new starter of the Canucks. He played well against the Habs on Tuesday, sub 37 to 40 in the win, but then had a couple of sub 900 save percentage games versus Ottawa and Toronto to end the week 
only a 903 save percentage for Demko on the season. So not great. Like he started really strong. I remember Markstrom left for a family thing for a week at one point early in the year. And Demko was just doing fantastically. It looked like, okay, this guy's ready to go. But yeah, the rest of the year as the backup hasn't been so amazing. But he does have that shiny pedigree. And we should expect to see a bunch of starts from him. Like Louis Demangue was brought in to back up from New Jersey. I don't expect Demangue to be stealing any starts from Thatcher Demko. So he's one guy that I'm putting up in the bracket. Thatcher Demko, obviously his fantasy value goes up, but maybe not by enough. I don't know. Then uh, the guy I'm going to put him up against, let's go to Arizona. So I'm skipping the flames in the standings, going to the Coyotes. Darcy Kemper back for the Coyotes. He had a great return. Stopped 24 of 26 and a 2-1 loss to Florida on Tuesday. But then uh, kind of surprisingly to me, Auntie Ronta got back in the net yesterday, Saturday versus Buffalo, and he had a good game himself. He's up 25 of 27 for a win. Uh, Ronta's been really, really good lately. He's up to a 921 save percentage on the season. Not as good as Darcy Kemper's 929, but like not too, too far off. So I wonder if maybe the people who've been waiting forever for Darcy Kemper to come back might not be getting the same Darcy Kemper that they had before where he was getting the majority of the starts. Maybe we have a timeshare the rest of the way. So it becomes an interesting matchup, Ryan. You've got Thatcher Demko not playing well, but expected to get a ton of starts. And then you have Darcy Kemper, who is playing fantastically, but maybe he's only going to be 50-50. So it's going to be very interesting. Who do you think is going to have the biggest increase in value for the rest of the season? Basically, which goalie would you rather have (laughs) is the way it breaks down. I don't think Kemper's value is really going to go up a whole lot the rest of the way. I think the concern is that it goes down, which still fits into our bracket, right? Which which guy's ownership percentage is going to change the most? Right now, Kemper's at 80%. Demko's at 33%. You have to figure that that means only 33% of Yahoo leagues are actually active because in just about any format, you're looking for a starting goalie. And Demko is not an awful option, although I did take a lot of heat when I ranked him fourth in my late night trade deadline knee-jerk reaction thread that I put on Twitter at like 11.30 on deadline day. I did a whole thread about skaters. And then we got a question. Can you also just chat quickly about the goalies, whose value changed and, and like who, who seems like the best option now going forward? And I ranked them this way. I said Crawford, then Korpisalo, then Georgiev, then Demko. And I added after that the top four were kind of similar, but I had my reasons for ordering them the way I did with Demko fourth, because he's the only one of that group who had not had a sustained period of great play like the three above him, Corpusalo, Georgiev, and Crawford have had. And by the way, how about Corey Crawford? Yes. Um, anyway, maybe that was an opportunity thing for Demko that he didn't have the chance to put on a, a sustained run of excellent goaltending. But still, I felt it reasonable to hold against him because we hadn't seen him do it. So why should we expect to see him do it? Um, I'm not here to gloat that I was right about it or anything because I think Demko could still, of course, be better than we've seen. But what we're seeing so far is that Demko is clearly not yet a slam dunk start or someone that you want to start with the same confidence you'd have starting Crawford, Georgiev, or Corpusalo, all of whom are vulnerable to blowing up like to having their numbers blown up, which means your numbers get blown up too. But still just, especially after these two sub 900 starts from Demko, two losses and a win since he's taken over the starting job due to Markstrom's injury. Uh, there's just not a whole lot of excitement for me uh, uh, to have Demko over those other three guys. And Kemper, uh, meanwhile, is the other guy in this bracket uh, who's at 80%. And as I mentioned, I feel like that ownership number could drop. I wonder if Arizona's concerned about his health or durability and is just playing it safe by going back to Ranta so quickly after Kemper came back. If you look 
through the season record before, like who the goalies of record were for Arizona, night in, night out, up until Kemper's injury. Believe it or not, but Kemper had only played three games in a row on three occasions before being hurt. He had the string at the start of the season where he started the season with three in a row. Then he played three in a row in November. And then he was on his fourth consecutive game in December when he got injured. So maybe the coyote is like, okay, we know how far we can push Darcy Kemper, probably two or three games at a time. But of course, now that Ranta has been so good and stepped up his game in Kemper's absence, you wonder if Kemper seeing two thirds of the start falls to seeing like one out of every two starts and just rotating back and forth or somewhere between say 50% and 67% of the starts going forward. And that's the reason why you might be concerned about owning Darcy Kemper going forward. He was a lock to be in your lineup before and now I actually don't think he is. I wonder if he's sort of like a Robin Lehner type or a Thomas Grice type from earlier in the season where when he starts, he'll be fantastic, but in some formats, he just might not be worth rostering all the while. So if I'm trying to figure out who between Kemper and Demko are going to have the the biggest difference in value and ownership the rest of the way, I think I'm still going to go Demko. Um, because I don't think Kemper's going to be dropped by a whole lot of owners. I wish we just had active numbers in front of us, Elon, because I think he's just on a bunch of inactive teams that aren't going to drop him. But I think Demko, with a couple good starts, could see another surge in his ownership numbers, and that's why I'm going him. Yeah, I would say that probably Demko had that huge surge when the news came out that Markstrom was injured. It's maybe gone down a little bit with a couple bad starts. And now, yeah, I, I'm not too, too worried, right? Like a couple bad starts. But I think the Canucks are decent enough. And I think that people tend to read into a couple bad starts maybe a bit too much. I remember Elvis Merz-Lickens, like when he, you know, first took over as the goalie in Columbus after Corpusalo got injured. And, and uh, you know, I know we talk about like these Columbus goalies like every single episode. I was going to maybe try to avoid it. But, you know, like at first it wasn't looking like Elvis was that good. Next thing you knew, he was like a super start. I think Demko might just need a little bit of time to figure it out. And yeah, I'm good to move Demko ahead in the bracket as the bigger impact change. But I do agree that Darcy Kemper, yeah, someone to be a little concerned about for time, but I think he's going to be great game in game out. So it might be worth it. I think in most fantasy leagues, I'd still rather have Darcy Kemper just for the guaranteed good numbers, even if it's not in as many games. Over Thatcher Demko? Yeah. Yeah. I Well, my take was going to be I would take the Arizona Cuff over Thatcher Demko. Well, but then you have to compare the cuff versus Demko and someone else, right? Yeah. Like, and then so you get I, a- I think in like a cup fullish deep league, I would take the Arizona cuff. Okay. Uh, that's, uh, interesting. And we don't have time to, to dig into that. Like, <laughs> I really like the idea of maximizing my roster, right? So I don't know if I like the idea of having players on my bench. It depends who's available in free agency as that skater to take the extra games that you're not wasting on holding an extra goalie. Uh, but okay. So we're moving Thatcher Demko forward in our bracket then. Uh, but everyone, yeah, keep in mind and let's watch this Arizona goalie situation, see how it shakes up. Maybe you're right that they are just easing Kemper in, or maybe they're going to go closer to 50 50 to try to avoid injury. Okay. Then we have a couple more skaters here in the Pacific. Pacific Division, who've had big changes. First, we go to Calgary. I think we're gonna have to do a sub bracket like matchup here, just to decide who gets in the bracket. A play-in a, game. A play-in game, yeah. Because Eric Gustafsson got traded to the Flames for a pick, like just in time for Mark Giordano to return from his hamstring injury and see that his top power play spot was ghost bared away from him. Brian, do you remember? It was like four seasons ago. Do you remember who's the player that was the top power play defenseman on Philadelphia got injured, and then Shane Gostisbehere uh, came in and did so well that afterwards this player no longer had that spot. Mark Streit. 
Yeah, it was Mark Streit, and now maybe Mark Giordano. Another Mark might be oh, suffering no. the same fate. And Gustafsson didn't even steal it from him. He just showed up and took it. It's not as if he overplayed it. So that means that it could change back at any time. But hey, so far, not looking great for the Giordano owners who are excited to get him back for their fantasy playoffs. Right? Two games so far, no points, three shots. Calgary plays again today. So who knows? Maybe Giordano will have a good game today. And by the time you're listening to this, you'll be like, ah, why were you worried about that guy? But yeah. Back-to-back big-minute games anyways, like Giordano, 23-plus minutes yesterday in the 4-3 loss to Tampa, so he's going to get big minutes. Gustafsson is like the opposite, right? He's had three games so far on Calgary, two assists, including one power play assist, so that's good, but only 15 minutes and nine seconds of ice time yesterday, so it seems like he's just playing on the power play, and aside from that, not much else. Uh, so, Brian... How about, let's do this play-in game first. Who are you expecting to be the more impactful player whose fantasy value changes moving forward between Gustafsson and Giordano? Or maybe let's just simplify this and say, who who's better right now? Like, who are you more... Like, are you concerned about Giordano? Are you excited about Gustafsson? Or do you think that Giordano's still, like, clearly the better asset like he was before? Well, Giordano's ownership isn't changing. He's 91% owned, and I'm confident it'll stay that way. Although Calgary does have a two-game week coming up. And I wonder if this is a reason for Giordano owners to think twice about continuing to own him through a week where he barely plays. If it's a shallow enough league, Eric Gustafsson, of course, is less owned. He's 49% owned. And I think it's his value that is more interesting here. Because Giordano, I feel like he can do his job. I I actually thought he was doing okay on the top power play. He hadn't been awesome pre-injury, but he's pacing for just under 20 power play points on the season. That's a decent job on the top power play, especially because Calgary as a whole had struggled there, not just Giordano. Um, But I guess Gustafsson has proven himself as a legit power play one quarterback option as well. So it's not so crazy to see him get a try there. And now Giordano has something on his roster that he didn't have before, which is internal competition for these offensive minutes, uh, we saw Hannafin and Rasmus Anderson try and step in and do what, some semblance of what Giordano did, and both of them uh, were not able to, right? So uh, now Giordano has someone who actually maybe can take his place in the way Gustafsson's starting his tenure in Calgary. It's definitely a thought to have in the back of your head. Uh, Gustafsson, by the way, is out of Chicago, which was so good to him last year, but sadly not for him this year. But in Calgary, he's probably quarterbacking a less broken power play for as long as he keeps getting the opportunity. Whereas before, Gustafsson was like, you know, maybe a free agent in many leagues and a spot stream in others. His value goes up now that there is potential for him to just keep getting turns on a loaded top power play unit. I could see a lot of speculative ads on Gustafsson. The way we've seen in the past where he's gotten two or three games in Chicago on the top power play before losing it again. Uh, So I just feel like this is another one of those ebbs for Gustafsson's ownership. Uh, Might as well give him a shot, especially if you're starved for defense. So, Brian, you have Mark Giordano right now in the cuffle, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League going into the playoffs, which will hopefully clinch today. It's tough between you and Lewis right now. Uh, are you, like, how worried are you as a Giordano owner? Like, I feel like this could be an Alex Edler situation where he was the top power play defenseman in Vancouver for a long time, was super valuable. Then Quinn Hughes came into the picture and all of a sudden Edler, like, he still plays a lot. He's good for peripherals, but like his point production, his offensive upside really went down. Like, it almost like halved, it seemed. And now I'm very worried about Giordano moving forward like and also not like so excited about Gustafsson just because if he's just used on the power play maybe he'll get you a power play assist every once in a while and not much else I just wonder if it's like bad for both of them I'm just curious to know like what's your level of concern for Giordano and what's like how much excitement should we really have for Eric Gustafsson 
We should have tempered excitement for Eric Gustafson the way I just mentioned that we had in Chicago when he got opportunities. It's nice that he stepped in and done something right away in Calgary. But as you said, there's no guarantee at last. And keep in mind that at five on five, Gustafson is seeing bottom pair minutes with a bottom pair partner in Derek Forbert. So if that top power play role goes for Gustafson, then so does all of his value. Meanwhile, as a Giordano owner, you asked me like how concerned I am. Look, I've been dealing with an either injured or subpar Giordano all season long. This is just a continuation for me as a Giordano owner. It's nothing new. So if I've suffered through the entire season with him, I'm ready to suffer through another three weeks. I'm not thinking of dropping him unless, again, you're in a shallow enough league where it's not going to be a big deal and you're not going to be kicking yourself if he does get back on the top power play for your second playoff week or in two weeks from now, whatever that week is for your league. Uh, like I still think he's worth holding on to for when he plays more games in a week. Yeah, makes sense. But I guess it is really good advice. Like if you're in a shallow enough league where big names sometimes get dropped, and if you're going into a two game week for Calgary, and if Giordano is still not the top power play quarterback, I think you can potentially consider dropping him. Though everything could change, right? It could change today, and maybe Giordano gets back there, has a multi point game. Uh, so we need to have a competitor in this bracket for the per- who are we moving forward here? By the way, let's move Gustafson forward. He's Gustafson. The, he's the new name in a new situation, so he's going to go against. So we have news in San Jose. Logan Couture is back. I don't really want to put Couture against Gustafson because, you know, Couture is Couture, right? Uh, He's back from his ankle injury after being out since January 7th. He had nothing versus Philly in his return, but has scored and been a plus two in each of his latest games versus New Jersey and Pittsburgh. Who, by the way, uh, Pittsburgh's looking a little San Jose-ish lately. Six losses in a row. Five nothing loss to San Jose lately. So crazy. Uh, So Couture, obviously, he's running the offense there. He's the best player on the team with these injuries to Hurdle and Eric Carlson and everything. Uh, He's He's on his typical 65, 70-point pace on the season. I feel like he'll probably just continue that going forward. He's going to be the guy that the Sharks depend on. Uh, for super deep leagues, I will mention that Couture played on a line with Evander Kane and someone named Noah Gregor yesterday. And Gregor has two assists in his last three games and seems to be a bit of a banger, kind of like a Barkley Goudreau. Well, has like two or three hits in most games. So keep that name in mind, Noah Gregor for a deep... You know, if there's a type of league where you were grabbing someone like Barkley Goudreau, maybe you look at Noah Gregor. Right, do you want to make any comments on these San Jose guys? I don't want to put a San Jose person in the bracket here because I've got someone more interesting for the Pacific, I think. But uh, any general thoughts? Yeah, I... Might as well just tell you a little bit about him. He was a fourth round pick in 2016, 111th overall, drafted by San Jose. He's now 21 years old, and uh, this season has not been so bad for him. At the NHL level, uh, he started, he got a call up early in the season, and he played a string of games where he didn't have the opportunity to do anything. He was on the fourth line, seeing like 9 to 11 minutes a night for the most part. But then he went to the AHL and put up 19 points in 25 games there, uh, so that's good. That's optimistic. He's scoring at one level of professional hockey. So I went to go look at his Zauber prospects profile and I see that Noah Gregor is speedy and a power forward. And that's what we're seeing right now, right? We've got two or three hits a night. We see two assists in three games. This is Gregor's first crack at a meaningful role, which makes him a good deep stream candidate. So absolutely, take a shot. If San Jose is playing on a night where you need an extra game, uh, might as well in deep, deep leagues. 
Yeah, I guess you could follow at game day lines to see if like the practice lines on a given day still have Noah Gregor with Couture and Evander Kane. I could see that definitely changing a few times for the end of the year, but a name to keep in mind. But okay, the person I want to put up against Eric Gustafsson, let's go to Anaheim. Nothing happened in LA of interest and fantasy wise. Like Adrian Kempe got on the top line for a little bit, but I don't, I don't have much to say about them. Uh, Anaheim acquired Sonny Milano from Columbus, which does sound like a very Adrian Kempe-ish type name, but actually Milano's been playing with Getzlaff and Raquel, and he's scored twice in his first game for the Ducks versus Edmonton. Then he picked up an assist on Friday versus Pittsburgh. Anaheim plays today against New Jersey. Who knows if Milano could do something again? He has a pretty nice pair of line mates. So, Brian, what do you think about Sonny Milano? Is he someone that could actually have a fantasy impact for the rest of the season? I guess we're asking a lot since it has to be on Anaheim. We're still worried about like Eric, uh, Ryan Getzlaff being able to have a fantasy impact for the rest of the season. But Milano versus Eric Gustafsson is kind of a fun comparison of two players who were definitely in free agency at some points during the season. And now maybe have some like light at the end of the tunnel where it might be a strong end finally for them. Sonny Milano is still 1% owned, and this could be a market inefficiency, Elon. I could see that number going up. He was actually mentioned in our patron Facebook group last week, uh, which was like a fantastic way to get the conversation going. So if you were in our group, this wouldn't be the first time, or probably second, that you're hearing the name Sonny Milano. Uh, if you have not heard his name before or have, but just forget who he is, 23 years old, former first round pick from 2014. I think he's picked in the middle of the first round. He had some hype around him on a couple occasions to date in his career. But unfortunately, the biggest headline Sonny had made was very stormy. Uh, he got into a bar fight this past summer. And that's how most people most recently made contact with Sonny Milano or became aware of him. Now, Milano has moved to Anaheim after 110 games played with Columbus over four seasons where he never really got any kind of opportunity to really show what he's capable of. Now he has that opportunity in Anaheim playing with Raquel and Getzlaff. I think that this could be a really interesting player to watch, and I am much more intrigued by Milano than I am by Eric Gustafsson, who I do assume before long will not be quarterbacking the top power play in Calgary. So give me Milano in this matchup. Wow. Okay. That actually surprises me because, you know, we went with Alec Martinez over Stevenson and then even over Tyler Ennis playing with McDavid just because the defensemen are valuable. But I guess you're calling your shot. I don't think you even said that. Did you say that before that you didn't think that Gustafsson was going to hold that top power play? I guess you're making it official here. Yeah, I guess I didn't. I guess like I was speaking more from the Giordano side where like you need to be very cautious about the fact that he might not get it back. But I don't I can't see this lasting for the last three weeks of the season or four okay. weeks, however long is less. And the difference between Gustafsson and Martinez is Martinez, even worst case scenario, he's still putting up numbers, right? He's still getting those blocks and hits, hopefully a couple shots and 35-ish point pace. Gustafsson, worst case scenario, gets you nothing. Yeah, worst case, maybe he's like healthy scratch sometimes. So, okay, I'm with you. Let's move Sonny Milano. And then that means he goes up against Thatcher Demko. A bit of a mismatch, even though, you know, Milano's done better on his new team so far than Demko. Well, Demko's not on a new team, but I guess new situation as a starter. But we got to put Demko forward, right? Okay, let's put Demko forward. I mean, like, I I see reasons to put Milano forward, too. I'm I'm very interested in him. But I I think reasonably, uh, like, if we're... Like, Milano's the, the cool, fun swing to take. Demko is the more level-headed one. Milano's someone you could probably stream in and out. All right, Brian. Why, let's be cool and fun, then. I don't care. Fine. Sonny Milano going forward in our bracket. <laughs> no, no. Which... It's got to be Demko. You're right. You're Steve. Okay. Yeah. 
Doesn't matter. Okay, it's a so tie. No one it's cares. All, it's all for fun. Okay. <laughs> and now Demko versus Martinez in this sort of ambiguously scored <laughs> bracket of players who we think their fantasy value changed the most, either positive or negative. Demko, obviously positive for the games played. We don't know how well he played. I think he's going to be fine, to be honest. We also don't know. Hopefully Markstrom will be back sometime soon. He's been having such an amazing season. Then we have Alec Martinez, who uh, just is going to get all those minutes, all the peripherals. We've said it a bunch of times. Who do you want to go forward in the Pacific Division, Martinez or Demko? I'm not going to argue. You can even just throw out a name. No, who do you want to go forward? We have like <laughs> such an ambiguous <laughs> Alec criteria. Martinez. Alec Martinez, congratulations. <laughs> we are into you and you are the top player. Now I'm wondering if we should have put Tyler Ennis over this Alec is Martinez. the weirdest bracket that's okay. ever been done. Well, we're only a quarter of the way through. So let's go to the Metro <laughs> Division and let's start at the top of the standings in Washington. Ilya Kovalchuk traded to the Caps. Uh, the Washington's playing Minnesota today, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but so far, before today, Kovalchuk has been playing on the third line with Eller and Haglin. He's also been playing on the second power play with Kuznetsov. By the way, Brian, did you know Kuznetsov's on the second power play in Washington lately? It's Jacob Verano on the top one. So yeah, the second one's been Kovalchuk with Kuznetsov, Eller, Tom Wilson, who you hate, uh, Dmitry Orlov. Uh, so not the best spot for Kovalchuk, but still, you know, like Lars Eller has been a pretty serviceable stream once in a while. Maybe Kovalchuk can be the same. So far, no points. Three shots, though, in each of his two games so far. So six shots in two games for Kovalchuk. So I I like him. Not like not as exciting as he was back when he was on the Habs, but still, you know, uh, someone worth mentioning. So I'm going to put him up in the bracket. And who to put him against? Let's go to Pittsburgh for our matchup versus Ilya Kovalchuk, okay? Like, Philly is actually higher in the standings, which is impressive, but because of Pittsburgh's fall, uh, Philly has recently lapped them, and good for them. I can't see any, like, really big fantasy value changes. It's sort of just, like, everyone's doing well, you'd expect. Like, Kevin Hayes, Voracek, Konechny, they're doing well. Uh, Scott Lawton's on a random, unsustainable streak of three uh, straight two-point games. I can't can't imagine that'll continue. Carter Hart's on a run of four straight quality starts. Uh, but, Brad, I see you want to jump in to talk about Philly or something. Yeah, uh, if you want to say anything general about Philly, now's the time before we get to Ilya Kovalchuk's competitor in the bracket. Okay, well, first off, Scott Lawton uh, is someone you could look at for a short-term stream. Elon, I agree with you that his scoring has been unsustainable, uh, but definitely consider him. Kevin Hayes, if he's somehow available in your league, who has been a consistent producer since mid-November. We've talked about it a lot. He just had a six-game pointless run, which might have been your window to go get him on your fantasy team, but that window has already shut, assuming that someone got excited by his recent production. But how about a couple other names who are stepping up in Philly lately, starting with Nicholas Obey-Kubel, who has another point in today's game against New York, which will bring him up to eight points in his last 11 games. Uh, unfortunately, he has like 11 shots to go in the with those eight points in 11 games. So no one to get too excited about unsustainable scoring, but he's on a bit of a run. And how about someone owned by Lewis in my cupful matchup this season, who or this week, who is just not quitting uh, Matt Niskanen on a wild run. He's got 13 points in his last 14 games, two goals, 11 assists, and he has a goal today, of course, in a make-or-break cupful day for me. So Matt Niskanen, Obeku Bell, Lawton, Hayes. It's a real scoring-by-committee situation in Philly. They're on a great run, and the team as a whole... Uh, everything about them keeps looking better and better and better recently. If they can stay on this course they're on, 
I would be scared to be their first round opponent because they are heating up at exactly the right time. Yeah, well, we've been waiting forever. I, we've always been thinking, just Philly just needs a goalie, and then I'd like to see what they could do. Carter Hart's really settling in. He's going to be their starter for a long time now, and like all these uh, side players are stepping up, and yeah, this is looking like a really good team. Kevin Hayes, by the way, there's been like weird line combinations all throughout the year. It seems like they're sticking lately with just, you know, Couturier, Giroux, Voracek, line one, which leaves uh, Kevin Hayes to play with Travis Connect and someone else generally on the second line most recently i guess we're looking at i'm just bringing it up now it's always like a different player but uh oh recently jvr actually i think i saw scott lawton there different people at different times anyways kevin hayes playing with connectney is what i wanted to say connectney's like a superstar now all of a sudden like he's having this breakout year which is like already totally old news but so it's great for hayes to have him on the second line so just overall yeah great situation you want to have these philly guys if you can matt niskanen you brought him up he currently is on pace to break his career high in points. He's on pace for 42 points. So he'll be a fun person to talk about over the summer when we're projecting next year's stats. Uh, we're going to have to discuss whether we think of uh, Matt Niskanen as a really high-end guy in Philly. I don't think we expected Shane Gossesbeher to totally disappear, opening up a spot for Niskanen to be like kind of the second guy after Ivan Provorov. Anyway, so Brian, I'm looking for a competitor for Ilya Kovalchuk and someone whose value may have changed at the trade deadline. And I guess I'm going to go to Pittsburgh, bring up Connor Sherry and Evan Rodriguez, who are both trading to the pens for Dominic Cahoon. Sherry went right to the top line with Crosby and Zucker. Everyone, you know, got excited. I even tweeted, I didn't give an advice. I just said like, hey, remember that time when Sherry was on a 70-point pace playing on a line with Crosby a few years back? And uh, I... Didn't expect too much from him, though, Brian. I know that you dropped a lot of fab dollars on him in the cupful to try to help you in this must-win matchup, and you must be very disappointed. I'm disappointed as a Sidney Crosby owner that Sherry's not helping him break out of his funk because both of them are doing nothing. Sherry, no points in three games so far. Only saw 14 minutes of ice time. It was negative three in the 5 nothing loss to the Sharks yesterday. So if anyone jumped on Sherry, it may be time to move on, or is it the kind of thing where you have to hold just because he's with Crosby regardless? By the way, like I said, Crosby... Only one goal in his last six games. I'm really bummed about that. I guess there's another player who went to Pittsburgh, Patrick Marlowe, who was playing with Malkin in Rust yesterday. So great spot for him. But we know how that went. That game yesterday was terrible. And Marlowe's pointed us in three games so far. So you could choose, Brian, if you want to put Sherry or Marlowe in the bracket to go against Ilya Kovalchuk, who's also not really done that much. Kind of looking boring. We were excited about Sherry. Now, I don't know. I don't know what to do with Sherry either. Uh, There's the sunk cost fallacy that I'm fighting right now because I blew what was remaining of my fab. I think it was $16 to add Connor Sherry for what I'd hoped would be a huge week for him in Pittsburgh alongside Crosby. And, uh, you know, I'd be sad to see all that fab blown for nothing. I'm still hopeful, though, that Sherry keeps getting opportunities. I don't know if it's a good thing or not that Crosby hasn't been scoring with Sherry. On on the pessimist side, they're like, oh, well, this isn't working. So uh, Sherry's got to go. But on the optimist side, it's like, hey, if Sidney Crosby isn't scoring... uh, that's on Sidney Crosby, right? He's going to bring whoever he plays with along with him. So Sherry just needs to survive this spell of Crosby's slump and hopefully be around to help him out of it. Sherry and Crosby have worked well together before. So that's why I am still trying to keep a rose-colored look on Connor Sherry. Okay, well, I think you're wrong. I think he sucks. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to... I vote Kovalchuk to move forward in the snatch. Dang, I think so, he's... Like, you I say Sherry? 
Well, here's the thing with Kovalchuk is that he's on a decent little third line in Washington now, right? I own Lars Eller and was ready to let him go when Kuznetsov was healthy again, but now Eller's centering Kovalchuk and Hagelin, and it's worth watching to see how much damage those three can do in a top nine setup if they get enough opportunity. But Kovalchuk's value has definitely dropped moving to Washington. He averaged nearly 19 minutes a night in Montreal, often top line, top power play in Washington. Kovalchuk has lost three minutes of ice time each night, and not each night, just total on average. He's lost three minutes of ice time compared to his Montreal numbers, and he's on the third line and the second power play, which makes Kovalchuk more of a streamer than he was before. Not to say Sherry's any better than that, and if you're comparing Kovalchuk value across his teams this season, I'd rank the Montreal Kovalchuk, Washington Kovalchuk, Kings Kovalchuk. So at least Kovalchuk is in a slightly better situation still than he was at the start of the year, but I still... I still don't think the upside is there that exists for Sherry. And I think if the whole team isn't scoring, I feel like this is still a combination that the Pens want to see sure. if it works. So I'm hoping I like I would go what's the question here? Who who am I more intrigued with rest of season? I think Sherry. Okay, well, I think you're wrong. I want to plant my... Like, I get what you're saying. I know that, like, oh, the upside's there. He's playing with Crosby. I think... Uh, I'm somewhat confident. Don't forget that there was that great season that Sherry had with Crosby. Then there was a following season where he was not great, and he ended up getting bumped from that line and then got traded and then became a nobody in Buffalo. And now he's back in Pittsburgh, and I guess they're trying it again. Doesn't seem to be working. I want to plant my flag and say, like, I know it looks nice, his roster spot, but I don't think it's going to work out. That's my opinion. So what are we even doing here, Brian? We're just, in the end, we're just guessing right there's no way to know for sure but yeah. i think Koval, like i think this is the winner of this matchup is just fodder for whoever they play against in the next round because neither of them are going to have huge impacts but uh you could you you could use your medallion of power we'll put sherry forward now i get the medallion and let's see who connor sherry is going to face off against i guarantee you it doesn't matter because he's not <laughs> making it past this next round it's very much floor ceiling right kovalchuk's got the floor sherry's got the ceiling but yeah, okay exactly. let, let's move on to the next matchup Okay, so next we go to the Islanders, who paid a hefty price. They paid a first and second and a conditional third round pick to the Sens for Jean-Gabriel Pajot. And they liked him so much, they immediately signed him to a six-year contract extension for $5 million per year. And hey, I know some people think that the Islanders overpaid, but so far so good for Pajot. He's continued his career year. He's had goals in his first two games with the Islanders, including a power play goal from the top power play unit on Thursday versus St. Louis. Uh, he played at even strength with Bailey and Dal Cole on Saturday versus Boston. No points. The Islanders got shut out. But Pajot played over 20 minutes of ice time, including over six minutes on the power play. So, you know, maybe not the most exciting even strength spot, but I love that he's getting top power play. Pajot's right now on a 53-point pace on the season. He has 41 points in 63 games. Do you think that he can keep this up now on his spot with the Islanders? Do you think he can still continue to be a 53-point guy for the rest of the year? Pajot has two goals on four shots as an Islander, where he continues producing at an unsustainable rate for the time being. I'm on the record as having said that Pajot's 53-point pace uh, as a senator was actually not sustainable. He had 24 goals on 135 shots, which gave him an 18% shooting percentage compared to his career number, which is like 10%. So he's scoring almost twice as many shots as he had in the past. I I do like one thing that Pajot has to make up for that 
as an Islander is that he's on the top power play for the moment. And that could help float Peugeot's pace to continue being 50 plus the rest of the season. And also Peugeot gets to continue seeing these big penalty kill minutes where he's earned the title of power killer this season because he co-leads the league with six short-handed points this season, tied with former teammate and also former senator Vladislav Nemesnikov. So, uh, like, so Peugeot has these special team situations where he can help make up for the unsustainable production that he's had at five on five this year. But I think I wouldn't go, I definitely would not go above a 55 point pace for Peugeot rest of the way. And I think 50 points is not even a guarantee. Yeah, I almost feel like for the purposes of this bracket, like I was worried that Peugeot's vibe is going to go down as he leaves Ottawa because he goes from being a top end guy, like a top six player, top power play to like sort of a middle guy on the Islanders, more of a depth player, kind of like a Ryan Dezingle last year. But the fact that he's on the top power play on the Islanders makes me think maybe he can at least stay the same or only go down a little bit, uh, which is good for him, I think. Not good for his chances in the bracket, though, because I don't think his fantasy value changes much, even though I would have thought maybe it would go down. Uh, so he goes up against a competitor from the Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, the goalie tandem that we talk about every week. So we'll just do it really quickly. Yeah, Elvis Merzlikens now injured. I wouldn't keep bringing this up, but things keep happening. Okay, so Merzlikens has a mild concussion. Wasn't doing well before he got hurt, as we all know. He's really slowed down. Uh, Corpus Salo came in in relief in that first game after Merzlikens got hurt and did pretty well, but then he got rocked versus Minnesota. He got pulled after letting in four of 15 shots. Totally killed me, Brian, in my must-win cupful matchup to get a bye. It's looking like I'm not going to get the bye. I'm going to have to play next week. And Cry me a river. Yeah, Corpus Salo killed me. Also, Sidney Crosby, where did you go? But anyway, okay. Uh, at this point, what do we think of this guy? Uh, like, like Columbus just doesn't seem that good lately. Like They've been really bad. The, on the plus side, they have some reinforcements coming soon, I would hope. Like Wenberg already back. Uh, maybe Cam Atkinson soon. They have more injuries that might heal before the season is over. But at this point, maybe like we were talking for the, all this time about oh, what's going to happen with Corpus Allo, Merzlikens versus Corpus Allo, who, who are we going to want? Maybe by the end of the season, neither of them. Like They're going to be both free agents in a lot of leagues because just Columbus is not going to be a team where you want the goalie. So uh, yeah, let's put Corpus Allo up against Pajot. Whose uh, value changes the most rest of the way? Well, Corpus Allo being healthy is obviously a big change to his value. And then Merz Lickens being injured also changes his value. Uh, unfortunately for Corpus Allo, he's returning to a Blue Jackets team that is missing Seth Jones. And they sure are missing Seth Jones a fair bit. As we've said ad nauseum, Columbus is one of the better defensive teams this season. But since January, the Blue Jackets have struggled to maintain that title. They've still been good defensively, but they've been less consistent and actually at this exact moment are presently on one of their worst five-game runs of the year in their average expected goals against. And so missing Seth Jones has to have more than a little to do with that, so that's one angle. The other angle here is uh, we need to cut Corpusalo a little bit of slack, right? He's played two half games since returning, and as we saw at the start of the year, maybe Corpusalo just needs some more game time to find a rhythm. Uh, like, of course, he's a scary start until we see that Corpus Allo's back on track, but there is still upside for him being on track, uh, and that's exciting that it still exists. So whose value uh, can improve more the rest of the season? I think Corpus Allo has yeah. a lot of room to grow the rest of the way. 
Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, really quickly, what about Corpusalo versus Demko? If they were both out there, both players who we were excited about, you know, stepping up to a role now, and both of them disappointed so far in limited games. Uh, I would vote Demko, I guess, because he's on a better team. And also, I think Merz Lickens might be back sooner than uh, Markstrom. Remember, it's not just about, I mean, it depends on your format. Better team and better defensive team are two different sort of ideas. And depending on what your format rewards, you might prefer one or the other. Um I think I'd go Demko over Corpusalo just because there's less competition while Markstrom's injured, except I think Domingue is going to get a start in the next game or two, especially if Demko keeps struggling. So that could open the door, although we saw Domingue fail to challenge in like his last three chances anywhere. I don't think he's a serious challenger, but he is someone who could like roll off two or three good starts and keep Demko on the bench for a short while. Yeah, by the way, uh, Columbus plays tonight against Vancouver, so we might see both of them face off against each other tonight. So why don't we just say the winner of the game tonight is the goalie that we think will be better rest of the way, because there's no better way to predict goalies this year. Uh, Brian, okay, then we got Connor Sherry versus Corpusalo in our bracket. Uh, I would vote Corpusalo. Who do you want to vote too. for? Me too. If one of them was a free agent right now, I'd be adding Corpusalo. Okay, and now let's see who Corpusalo is going to go up against in the finals of the metropolitan region of our March Madness. Emphasis on the madness. I felt some pressure to say Corpusalo over Shiri, and I'm thinking through what I just said. I'm still really hope like if you need to swing for the fences, go with Shiri. Uh, but otherwise, Corpusalo is fine. All right, so use Connor Sherry. Brian's using his medallion of power, and Connor Sherry is going for. Oh no, I no, I'm still with Corpusalo. <laughs> Well, okay, I don't want you to feel like I pressured you. I didn't. Uh, I didn't. I just said my piece, and we're still going with Corpusalo. Okay. Oh, wait. I'm the one with the medallion right now, right? Uh, we always forget who has the medallion. Okay. We, need, we need a physical medallion that we can ship back and forth between Ottawa and Toronto <laughs> as we record. It could be like one of those chess games. Like, one episode could take, like, months and months to actually <laughs> record. Okay, let's go now to the next team where something happened, and that is in Carolina. They made a couple trades, right? So, first of all, they acquired Vincent Trocek for Eric Howla and some more. Uh, Trocek not having a great season in Florida, right? He had 36 points in 55 games, so Trocek owners were excited for a change of scenery, thinking maybe this is going to mean really good things for him. But you know what? Be careful what you wish for, Vincent Trocek owners. I'm one of them. I kind of miss Florida Trocek because he's done nothing in Carolina. He went pointless for his third straight game as a cane yesterday versus Montreal. He finally took a shot. He had two shots, his first on the Hurricanes after no shots in his first two games. He's still on the second power play, just like he was on Florida. Uh, he had been playing on a line, I'm talking about Trocek here, with Nichas and Nino Niederreiter. Uh, one, maybe potential glimmer of hope is that it looks like Svechnikov took Nino's spot there for a point last game so maybe Trocek could play with Svechnikov and Nichas for a little while I obviously like that better for Trocek I don't know either way maybe Trocek owners need to consider that he's not going to be any better just because he's on a new team maybe they should be concerned that he's going to be worse maybe I wonder if you have to start considering holding Trocek as being a snoozer move if you're going into your fantasy playoffs right especially if he isn't going to shoot on Carolina like maybe I'd give him a little bit more leash but Brian I'm not promising myself that I'm going to be holding him through the couple playoffs like I'll give him one or two more games and I might have to let go Absolutely. Trocek, we talked about Giordano being on a short-ish lease. Trocek is on a significantly shorter one. Like you, I'd hoped that a change of scenery was going to spark Trocek's offense, but I actually think that Carolina was acquiring him for his defense. Like, he could be a Carolina center in the vein of Jordan Stahl, 
And that's concerning for Vincent Trocek's production. For anyone in face-off leagues who always loves his face-off production, those are back for Trocek. He's got 34 wins in his last three games. When in Florida, he was often only winning six or seven a night for long stretches of time. And that submarined his fantasy value even further for people that are like, ah, you know what, if he's not getting points, at least he gets face-off wins. Those seem to be uh, resurging in Carolina for Trocek, but uh, his value definitely is not moving the way I'd hope. And uh, if it doesn't turn out that Trocek gets to play with someone like Svechnikov or Aho, which is like both are unlikely. He had Svech for a little while, but then lost him. He doesn't really have anyone better to play with than he had in Florida, which was Mike Hoffman, uh, because Trocek without those big shooters in Carolinas, probably playing with guys like Niederreiter and Nietzsche, who are good, but neither have the same finishing ability as Mike Hoffman. So yeah, if, if Trocek wasn't already snoozing in your format, there's a good chance he will be before the end of this upcoming week. So watch how the next game, maybe two games play out, but keep him on a very short leash. Okay, and another lesson, right? To not just get excited for a player just because he gets traded. Like, at the, the same with our, uh, Andreas Athanasiu, right? Like, and he's in an amazing spot, and I'm still not, like, super, super excited about it. Sometimes it works out really well, but with Trocek, this might actually be a downgrade for him. Uh, so, yeah, you, you kind of flip your expectations for Pajot and Trocek, maybe, from right after the trade deadline. Uh, also, Carolina acquired Brady, Shea, and Sami Vatanen to try to shore up their defense. Uh, Shea, one assist in three games so far, playing over 20 minutes a night uh, on the second pairing with Hayden Fleury. Vatanen Vaden is still injured, still hasn't played, should return soon, along with Petr Morazic, by the way. He might also return soon for Carolina, so that's good for them. Are you expecting an impact from either of these guys? I want to hope for an impact from Sammy Vatnin. I like the possibility that he quarterbacks the top power play unit in Carolina. As I mentioned last week, Slavin has had the job of quarterbacking the top power play, but he's done precious little with it and has just one power play point in his last 13 games now, except... Who cares if you own Slavin because his five-on-five production just keeps coming. He's now up to total three assists and 11 shots in his last three games alone, and he's now pointed in 12 of his last 15 games. That combines power play and five-on-five production. Um, so Slavin is doing really well at getting points, which I wonder if that's masking how little he's doing on the power play. Another reason I think Vatnin could step into that top power play role is that he's a right-handed shooter. And I know, Elon, you hate talking right-handed, left-handed. So do I. But Vatnin shoots right. Dougie Hamilton also shot right, uh, continues to shoot right. But when he's on the ice playing, that's the way he shoots. Well, Slavin is a left-handed defenseman. So I wonder if that matters to Carolina, if they think their power play setup is better served with a righty, in which case they have Vatnin. Uh, all in all, though, I, I don't see Vatnin's value really changing with his his move from New Jersey to Carolina, uh, when he is playing, of course, forget the injury. Uh, this is still a player who uh, can get big minutes, uh, maybe top power play, uh, and also decent, like half decent, five on five production. So I'm curious about him, but I don't think like when he was going to return to the Devils lineup, he still had a chance to take over the top power play spot too, uh, except it's a better spot in Carolina. So that's why I'm curious about Sammy Vatnin more so than I am about Vincent Trocek. 
Okay, well, that's the matchup. Trocek versus Vatnin as who's going to go higher. And you're saying Sammy Vatnin, And I think I'm going to agree with you, which is disappointing. <laughs> Maybe, like, hopefully, yeah, I could see Trocek not being owned in a lot of leagues in a couple of weeks and Vatnin being owned because, I, yeah, like you said, he could potentially play big minutes and play on the top power play if he bumps Slavin, who I guess it wasn't really supposed to ever be there before Hamilton got hurt. So, uh, yeah, let's move Vatnin forward. Sad news, Trocek. And let's see who Vatnin's going to play in the next matchup. So let's go to the Rangers, who had that crazy press conference on Monday where they announced both that Shostyorkin and Buchnevich were in a car accident, but also they signed Chris Kreider to a long-term contract extension. So it was like, okay, uh, bad news, good news. Uh, Buchnevich is fine. He played Friday. He's playing today. Uh, Shostyorkin suffered a non-displaced rib fracture, killing my couple dreams, and he's going to be reevaluated in a couple of weeks. Hopefully, he'll be fine. We haven't really heard anything. I- I'm assuming he's going to be fine. Uh, then Chris Kreider, the-, the one good news from that day that they signed him to a long-term contract, fractured his foot while blocking a shot on Friday. And you got to imagine he's going to be out long term. So just terrible news for the Rangers and Chris Kreider. Uh, Short shifts already covered the goalies a lot. Like it looks like Georgiev's going to take over as the starter. We saw uh, Lungfist get in today. And so far, uh, right now it's one o'clock. It's the end of one period. And Lungfist has already let in three goals. It's three nothing Philly. So not looking good. So I think you want to just grab Georgiev. Then we look at the Kreider injury. I see in the Friday's game, I guess as things were getting shaken up at some point, Panarin and Zabanjad were playing together. Uh, it looks like that may not last. I don't know. I saw practice lines today with DG Giuseppe playing with Buchnevich and Zabanjad, and then Panarin sticking with Strom in fast. So we'll have to see. Maybe the Rangers lines will change around a lot over the next few weeks. Uh, Buchnevich also jumping to the top power play right now with Kreider out. He's been getting the most power play time, at least so far in today's game after one period. Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure I was raising my hand to say we have, you mentioned practice lines, but we have some game lines to go from. And yeah, it's Jesper Foss still playing with Panarin and Strom, and Buchnevich with Zibanejad, and Philip DiGiuseppe getting a promotion, clearly. But Buch keeps his, his spot on the top power play, which is good. Uh, Buch has had a good few weeks here. 13 points in his last 15 games, and he's averaging three shots a game in that span, which is a high number for Buchnevich. So getting this top power play role to help keep this run going is a pretty darn good thing for Pavel Buchnevich. The Rangers lines, as you said, Elon are definitely in flux, but he does tend to benefit uh, by a couple scenarios. The one scenario in which he won't benefit is if uh, New York loads up with Pernarin and Zabandetad together and Buchnevich doesn't get that third spot and say they give it to Jesper Foss. So we'll have to watch carefully to see if that happens. But in the meantime, I'm a pretty content Buchnevich owner. Yeah, I feel like maybe it's like a win-lose. Like he loses Kreider, who's a really good player to play with, but maybe he takes his power play time and hopefully sticks at least with Zabanajad. So let's make Buchnevich the guy who will uh, put forward in this bracket as someone whose value may change because of the injury to Chris Kreider. Uh, I probably should be putting Georgiev, but I'm kind of tired of talking about goalies a little bit. Uh, then we go to the final team in this division, the Metro New Jersey. They were sellers, right? They traded Wayne Simmons at the deadline. They'd already moved Blake Coleman earlier. They moved Taylor Hall even earlier earlier than that so they just keep on getting rid of players who were in their top six at one point a couple players who stepped up recently to help fill these roles are Jesper Bratt, who has four goals and an assist in his last five games, and my favorite, Nikita Gusev, two goals and six assists in his last five games. Both of them are playing together with Pavel Zaka at even strength and also on a pretty pretty like evenly used second power play. I don't even know if I'd call it a second power play, even though the, like, the players on it, aside from Gusev and Bratt, don't look as good as like the Palmieri's and Hishiers, but as far as time on ice goes, seems like they're pretty much 50-50. Brian, believe it or not, 
Nikita Gusev is only two points behind Kyle Palmieri for the team lead in points. He has 41 points in 61 games compared to Palmieri's 43 points. And if you just look more recently, 27 points in his last 32 games for Nikita Gusev. So he's basically been like a 70 plus point player for a couple months now, almost three months. So I don't know, maybe Gusev shouldn't count for the bracket. He's already been great for a while. Nothing's really changed for him. So maybe we could put Jesper Bratt forward. Like I, w- I just want to tell everyone, go grab Nikita Gusev if you can. But now, with all these trades and everything, it seems like Jesper Bratt might get an uptick in usage, and he gets to play with superstar Nikita Gusev. So, Brian, <laughs> Jesper Bratt, are you excited for him? Do you think his value is going to go up by the end of the year? Do you think he can keep up this nice run? Oh, well, Bratt is actually very Buchnevich-like in his production lately. They both have 13 points in their last 15. They also both have seven goals and six assists. Brad is averaging half a shot per game less than Buchnevich, uh, but Brad is also shooting 19% on this run, which is higher for him, uh, like compared to his career numbers in. Buchnevich appears to be performing relative to his own career numbers. So yes, for Brad, I'm not getting as behind as Buchnevich. Of course, playing with Gusev is good, but it also shouldn't significantly change Brad's value. He played mostly with Hishier and Paul Mary so far this season. So technically, Elon, you can feel free to disagree with me, but I think him moving from playing with Hishier and Paul Mary to playing with Gusev is a lateral line change at best, if not Rude. a downgrade. Rude. <laughs> so, yeah, it'd be nice to see Brad keep this up with Gusev, uh, with superstar Nikita Gusev, but I think he remains more of a stream than a hold, but still a decent stream all of a sudden. So I would prefer if I had to pick one the rest of the way, uh, Buchnevich to Brat. Okay, so that means Pavel Buchnevich goes forward. But yeah, everyone, keep in mind, Jesper Brat, watch that schedule. We'll see how New Jersey does today versus Anaheim. Definitely a team that Brat could continue this hot streak on, along with Nikita Gusev, who next year is going to get 70 points. You'll see. Uh, okay, now let's uh, finish up this division. So we've got Vatnin versus Buchnevich for the rest of the season. And Vatnin's injured, uh, but he might take the top power play. Buchnevich on the top power play with Kreider out. And that those are the big changes. Brian, who do you want to put forward between these two? Until I see an update on when Vatnin's coming back, I just can't get that excited about him, right? Oh, yeah, I'm with you. Okay, and then Buchnevich versus Corpusalo, who beat out Connor Sherry to get to this finals in the Metro. Who do you want to put forward here? Gimme Corpusalo. Ugh, okay. Why, who would you say? I don't know. You this just a- own him. He burned you recently. He burned me. He, maybe he can make up for it tonight with a really good game versus Vancouver. If he plays, he's not even necessarily announced to play. Maybe it could be that backup by K- Kislenskis. Was it? Whatever. What? That other guy. What's the name of the guy on Columbus who's oh. the backup goalie? Matisse Kivlenics? Yeah. We're bad. We're terrible people. We're going to get a one-star review for bad name pronunciations. I feel like overall, Brian, you noticed I said Connor Sherry and not Connor Sherry. So I've been really trying hard, but I, I blew it by not looking up how to pronounce the Columbus backup. But anyway, we'll see who plays. Uh, so that is this division. And that means we have Eunice Corposalo moving forward in the Metro. We had Alec Martinez in the Pacific. Not a very exciting pair. Let's see what happens in the Central and Atlantic. The thing is, the Central Division, like, not a lot has happened in the last week. Like, I went through the teams and there haven't been a lot of big fantasy changes there. There. Like St. Louis didn't make any big trades there at the top of the division. We're still waiting on Tarasenko. It would be nice if Tarasenko could come back before I'm eliminated from my fantasy playoffs, which start next week in the Cupful. Uh, he's skating. It's all positive stuff we're seeing, but it still might be a couple weeks. Might be too late. Uh, I guess the big news out of St. Louis right now might just be that Colton Pareko has been crushing it. Six points in his last six games. So many shots on goal. He 
has a career high of 35 points in his whole career. He has 25 now with 20 plus games to go. Do you think he's going to beat it? Brian, is this going to be the best ever season for Colton Pareko overall in terms of points? And then is his upside potentially even higher next year since Alex Petrangelo is an unrestricted free agent? Okay, so uh, those are two very interesting questions. Let's take them one at a time. First, Pareko is showing some promise again, which has happened sporadically since his breakout rookie season, where he had some great point production and great shot production, uh, but still never really saw a bump in deployment. His ice time has been steadily increasing, though. In fact, uh, over the last month, he has gained a minute of ice time per night, and it's nice to see Pareko making the most of it. He's officially now seeing the most five-on-five minutes per night on average of his career. And that's great because Preco's rate stats are still pretty good. And we hope that we're not that far away from seeing this guy who we know could be good for three shots a night and scoring on a bunch of them, uh, like getting him some more offensive opportunities to have one more fantasy relevant defenseman to choose from. Now, the question about Petrangelo's future is uh, an interesting one. I mean, sure, we need to pay closer attention to Pareko, but keep in mind, Justin Falk and Vince Dunn are also in the picture in St. Louis, and Pareko has rarely, if ever, been handed the reins before to be the defenseman they look uh, they look to for offense and to give extra offensive opportunities to. So if those guys, Dunn and Falk, are still in the picture to start next season, I don't know if it matters whether or not Petrangelo is still around, but let's also circle back to the right now to celebrate what Pareko is doing. 12 points in 13 games. Sure, he scored it three times his usual shooting percentage, but his usual shooting percentage is an okay 5%, and he's been averaging, like I said, just over three shots per game. For whatever reason, though, his blocks and hits have dried up as of late, though, so there's, it's not a wet blanket, just a little wet napkin, a wet nap to throw okay. on the Pareko points parade, uh, but he is someone, I guess I've been all over the map with this answer, uh, just trying to cover him on a few different levels, but the basic uh, conclusion here about Pareko is go own him now. Yeah, I mean, he's probably owned in most leagues, uh, and we'll see what we project him for next year. I kind of see an analogy here of, like, once upon a time in St. Louis, Alex Petrangelo kind of was the Pareko, right? Like, he was a high-used defenseman, like, played a lot of minutes, was on the second power play, but there was no chance he was ever going to steal the top power play from Kevin Shattenkirk, and then Shattenkirk got traded, and we thought, oh, what is St. Louis going to do? Are they going to acquire someone else? It's not going to be Petrangelo. And now, like, a few years later, it's like, Petrangelo's a great top power play defenseman, so who knows? Maybe the same thing could happen to Colton Pareko. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, I don't want to put him in the bracket, because nothing's really changed too much for him. We go to Colorado. Uh, yeah, so they acquired Vladislav Nemesnikov from the Sens at the deadline, and what do you know? He played on a line with McKinnon and Landeskog for a stretch in the win over the Preds on Saturday, uh, but, you know, no points, only 13 minutes of ice time. So I guess we could just kind of add him to the pile of players who we expect to potentially get good deployment on Colorado, like Burakovsky, of course, Donskoy, Nichushkin, we've talked about a bit lately. Uh, Burakovsky, by the way, missed yesterday's game with a lower body injury, so I'd imagine he would have been the guy playing with McKinnon if he was healthy. He's day-to-day. He was a late scratch, so maybe he's going to be back by the next game. Uh, I would say that I like Burakovsky the best, and then I'm going to put all these other guys on a pile, like I said, and then we have one more player, Tyson Jost, who got on the top power play yesterday, had two goals and two assists, 13 shots in his last three games, so Jost is on a nice little run. So I don't know, I don't really want to give a bracket spot to any of these guys, just because I feel like nothing's really changed in Colorado, like I don't think Vladislav Nemesnikov is going to make an impact, unless you strongly disagree. We just have like a bunch of guys in Colorado that on any given day, one of them could end up playing on an even strength or power play line with McKinnon and then you'd be interested. Yeah, we have a pile in Colorado to pick from. Uh, and so Vladislav Nemesnikov is in it. And then you've got Donskoy, Nichushkin, Burakovsky when he's healthy. And let's also add Martin 
caught Kaut to that pile too. Uh, he made his NHL debut two weeks ago and has two goals on seven shots. So I'm going to call him Kaut. Uh, still playing in the neighborhood of 10 minutes a night, give or take. So he's not someone who's really offering a whole lot of upside. And I guess uh, that's worth just considering for a stream. Colorado plays several times next week. So you might like to add a deep guy to your roster. I guess this is also a good place to mention Valerie Nichushkin, now pointless in five. And you know that especially with Nemesnikov, the Avs have this these other options in the pile to try in the cushy deployment that Nichushkin's been getting. But how about Tyson Jose, who had 15 points in 58 games this year before this run that he is now on? Uh, in his last three games, he has 13 shots, which is fantastic. Also, two goals and two assists, which is probably the headline here that I should have mentioned. Remember, Tyson Jones, 10th overall pick in 2016. He's 21 years old. He'll be 22 in a couple weeks from now. Jost was reportedly on the trading block for the deadline, but I guess no deal got done. And so the Avs were like, okay, well, how about we give him the deployment we would have given to someone we would have acquired? And it's nice to see Jost making the most of it. What he's doing in his shots right now and the time on ice he's getting are amongst his season and career high numbers. Uh, Jost saw nearly 19 minutes last game after seeing 9 to 11 most minutes, most nights this season. So his name definitely goes in the pile too. Also on the top power play, it's a very uh, flat landscape right now beyond McKinnon and Landeskog. And then I guess you have Burakovsky. And then you've got the pile. Although I did see a report, this is a few days old now, so uh, everyone should check into this maybe <laughs> to get an update. But that uh, I think I saw Bednar say that they were going to get all their players back, like their big players back, the first week of March, which we are now officially in. So please, Rantanen and Kadri, come back soon. Oh, wow. Okay, so especially with that, let's not put any of these Colorado guys into the bracket. Nothing's going to change, especially once Ronson and Kadri is back, and that's going to be great news. By the way, probably the person we should talk about is Pavel Francouz. We already have, but I'll just mention again, he continues to crush it in Grubauer's absence, and that'll be another, you know, I guess, Columbus situation now, where it'll be interesting to see what happens if and when Grubauer comes back. I don't think we've still seen an update on him, so I think Colorado might just be happy to run Francouz and not worry about it. Uh, so, okay, we've got Dallas here. Uh, nothing really changed there. Denis Gurionov has a goal in three straight games playing with Hints and Dickinson I can't imagine this alas looks like a Scott Lawton situation but another guy you might want to consider add to your watch list see if he can continue this like Grianov's also been seeing some good power play time uh so he's not a nobody and he's doing well right now but I don't, I don't have much to say about him actually Nashville kind of the same they're like the same old since the last time we discussed them I think it's going to be a smaller bracket for this region Brian okay yeah we're just blowing through teams I we could have put these guys in a bracket we have enough to say but but whatever uh Guriana three three goals on his last eight shots all while seeing no more than 14 minutes a night still feels very much like a tease but someone who could be worth a spot stream and then Nashville uh you said no one worth mentioning I will mention Mikhail Granlund who of course is against me in my cup matchup he scored with 0.1 seconds left in the game against calgary and then he scored the winner in overtime to get him two goals worth of cupful points plus the win for uc saros also owned by lewis so that's like a 15 point swing right there in my matchup and it's very very frustrating and i don't want to talk about him but i would be remiss to not acknowledge that grenland is now up to 13 points in his last 17 games taking two and a half shots on goal per game 
he has a 21% shooting percentage, though, which is not going to continue. But still, he's shooting the puck at least four shots against Calgary, where he scored the two goals, then another four shots against Colorado on Saturday. It is time to own Mikel Granlund again. So if he is a free agent in your pool, take a fresh look and see if he might be better than any of your current bottom roster options. Yeah, I feel like we've mentioned this recently that Granlin was like the one, I think like in the last episode, we might have said the same thing. So if you, st- if he's still out there, yeah, now especially like Granlin is really heating up and he is worth owning in Nashville. I guess when I said nothing's going on, I just meant like nothing too much has changed because I did recall in my head that we had said recently that Granlin is someone who's really heating up. Okay. So let's go to Winnipeg now. They did something, uh, before the deadline finally. They, they traded for Cody Eakin, which doesn't seem like that big of a news item. Doesn't seem that interesting, but actually that did make a change. In, in Winnipeg because now Cody Eakin has taken over as a second line center and Blake Wheeler has been back up on the wing playing with Shifley and originally Patrick Laine uh, yesterday Kyle Connor because Patrick Laine has an upper body injury though okay now I'm, I'm saying a lot of things so yeah Wheeler back on the top line right playing with Shifley and someone uh, so that's the one news item Eakin centering the second line Patrick Laine upper body or lower body injury because he blocked a shot but nothing is broken he's traveling with the team so I'd imagine soon enough we're going to get back to Wheeler Shifley and maybe be Line or Connor, you know, sometimes they switch back and forth, that final spot on the top line. Uh, this left Nikolai Ehlers to play with Eakin and Mason Appleton in Saturday's loss to Edmonton. So poor Nikolai Ehlers never gets the deployment, but like he's still producing. Like obviously he's been playing with Wheeler a lot lately, so that's been great. And he has 14 points in his last 16 games. But Brian, I'd be kind of afraid right now if I'm a Nikolai Ehlers owner who's been rolling with him to get into my fantasy playoffs, if he's going to be away from Wheeler and it's said be sent by Cody Eakin I guess hopefully play with Kyle Connor or Patrick Laine also he still doesn't get on the top power play maybe not a great spot for Nikolai Ehlers uh for the next little while yeah so Ehlers is hoping for two things the first is that Laine recovers quickly and replaces Mason Appleton on his line uh, and the second thing that Ehlers can hope for is that the Jets see that everyone did okay with Blake Wheeler on the second line. Shifley and Connor still produced. Blake Wheeler still produced. Nick Ehler still produced. So maybe they accidentally stumbled onto a lineup configuration that they should stick with to give them two potent lines instead of just one, especially for as long as Patrick Liney is out. And while they continue their struggle to find a second line center, to think they had Kevin Hayes on their roster last year and then let him go, or maybe he chose to leave. I don't know. He got a huge contract. Maybe it wouldn't have been worth it for them. But uh, And they had Paul Stasny also in recent years. It's like they keep... Like, Cody Eakin is the worst option of these guys. So yeah, so as long as anyone is playing on Cody Eakin's wing, I'm not loving their fantasy outlook. Oh, well, that's too bad. Like, hey, Eakin, one assist in four games so far. But yeah, can't imagine he's going to have an impact, potential negative impact on the board for Ehlers. We've only seen one game of him, like, away or maybe two with, away from Wheeler. So we'll have to wait and see. But I'm going to put Ehlers on the bracket board here for a matchup because I think he might have a negative impact moving forward. So we can compare that to the positive impact I expect to see from the Chicago Blackhawks. So we still have a few players in between in the standings, but I want to put a matchup up because I want to also have a goalie matchup. So let's put Ehlers up against Duncan Keith on Chicago. So we talked about Eric Gustafsson getting traded to Calgary, and that now leaves Duncan Keith to be the top power play quarterback for the Chicago Blackhawks. And for the past five games, he's held that spot and doesn't look like he's going to change. And also, he's been doing really well, right? He ended a five-game point streak yesterday in the win over Florida. So finally, no points there. Before that, he was getting points every single game, seeing, like I said, ton of power play time, ton of minutes just overall. It's a nice-looking top power play now. Kane, Taves, Debrinkit, Dominic Kubalik, who all of a 
sudden is on this amazing run. Maybe potential guy who's going to snag that third Calder candidate spot if he keeps this up. Uh, but yeah, so Duncan Keith, love the spot he's in right now. Do you think he's going to go up in value by as much or more than Nikolai Ehlers may go down in value losing Wheeler as a center? Well, like I said, I still think there's some rosy outcomes for Ehlers. So I think Keith has more to gain than Ehlers has to lose, so long as one of those scenarios plays out for him. Although it, I, I guess maybe I just can't get past the fact that Cody Eakin may be Ehlers' second line center. Uh, so this is a tough one, but I will just say I'm excited that Duncan Keith gets another opportunity to quarterback the Chicago power play, which, by the way, is working okay lately. And Chicago is still like they had this really rough stretch where they pretty much fell out of the playoff race. But there's still this very, very outside shot that the Blackhawks have at getting into the playoffs. So they're motivated. They're playing hard. And Corey Crawford, of course, is standing on his head, having a low, like, I think that's really the headline here. Corey Crawford is the guy whose value changes the most between Keith and Ehlers. Uh, he's had a low-key, very good season. He's got a 928 save percentage in 15 starts since the start of January. This is not just brand new. Of course, Crawford has had blow-ups along the way, but not so many that you should be deterred by him. And it's the reason why post-deadline, he topped my list of goalies whose value had changed for the better that you want to own the, like more than you did the day before. I like that Chicago keeps pushing. Crawford seems locked in. Keith seems locked in as a top power play quarterback, but I guess uh, I can't put Crawford ahead in this bracket. Oh, he's going to be in the next matchup. So yeah, I will put Duncan, we'll get to him. We'll get to Crawford. I'll put Duncan Keith in it. I'll put Duncan Keith ahead of it for now, but Crawford is going to well, we'll see. It's a really interesting next matchup. Okay, very good. So we have Duncan Keith going ahead versus Nikolai Ehlers as someone who's impact. We hope for Ehlers that nothing changes because he's been great. Duncan Keith, I really love his spot. And if you need a defenseman right now, you might have a top power play defenseman just sitting there in free agency. I grabbed him in a couple of leagues. I'm really, I'm really enjoying him. Okay. So yeah, I want to get Corey Crawford in here. I have a goalie matchup for you. So first let's, let's wait on Crawford or, or fine. You've already talked about, it. yes, uh, Robin Leonard's gone. Crawford's now the starter on Chicago and he's doing great. So he's going to go in a matchup against. Alex Stalock, because I think something's changed for him. I think he's now the starting goalie in Minnesota. Maybe he was before, and I just didn't notice. I thought it was like going to be a timeshare with Dubnik the rest of the way. But Stalock uh, got both games of a back-to-back earlier this week. Uh, that included a shutout versus Columbus on Friday, which is the, which was after stopping 25-26 versus Detroit on Thursday. So maybe not the toughest competition, but still looking really good right now. Maybe he's a potential high-volume starting goalie who could also pick up some wins down the stretch like Minnesota we should also mention is scoring some goals lately Kevin Fiala is like a superstar he's got nine points in his last six games and that's not, nothing new for this week like, he's been doing this for a while uh, so yeah I'd say for sure Dubnik is gone and Alex Stalock now becomes interesting to me so let's compare Stalock to Corey Crawford rest of the way who do you got going forward in the bracket Alex Stalock has gotten Minnesota all of a sudden back in position to make a playoff run, which is not either part of that sentence is hard to believe that it's Alex Stalock and that Minnesota is in the playoff picture. But Alex Stalock took the reins, Elon, just to post all-star break. And since then, he's got a record of 7-1-1 and a 9-32 save percentage. Wow. Uh, Alex Stalock is essentially... What he's done is, is essentially just been Devin Dubnik 
this year. And what I mean by that is that Stalock has not been a great goalie, but the team in front of him is so good at shutting it down that even if Stalock plays a little below how an average goalie would, he can still put up some nice numbers. So Stalock is doing what Devin Dubnik couldn't this year, which is ride that Minnesota defense to some quality numbers that he probably wouldn't put up anywhere else. Mike, a cup full season is probably about to hinge on his performance against Washington tonight, which is, uh, it's kind of sad what a whole year of fantasy can sometimes come down to. But regardless of how tonight goes, I'm going to be happy to have him as the Minnesota starter on my roster. We talked at the start of the year that we didn't like Devin Dubnik, but we did like whoever is in net and not screwing up a whole lot in Minnesota. And right now that is Alex Stalock. So if you like volume and are okay with an occasional blow up, then go nab him. There's certainly some risk reward in Stalock, but I really do think he could be worth your while down the stretch as Minnesota is healthy and seems freshly engaged as they somehow push into the playoff picture with a win tonight. If they win, uh, that's Sunday. If they win Sunday against Washington, they are a playoff team. What a world we live in. Also, before we move on from Minnesota entirely, uh, can I just mention one name? Uh, okay, Jer- it, uh, you can mention it in a second, Brian. Okay. I want to get your answer. Crawford versus Stalock. <laughs> I'm managing this bracket here. Don't forget, that's that's the point of this episode. It's not to help people and mention names. It's to complete this bracket. Oh. We're, we're putting Crawford higher, higher, right? Because he's a for sure starter rest of the way, and he's been better for longer. To me, it seems like I like everything I'm seeing from Staylock, and I would try him out, but I think Crawford is like a guy that you could grab and sort of comfortably hold for the rest of the year. I think I think that's it. Who you think can really stay in your lineup the rest of the way. I think Crawford's the better bet, and also he sees a lot more rubber. So uh, Staylock is great because he's well protected by his team. Crawford isn't, but it means he gets to rack up the saves. Okay, so let me guess. The name you want to mention is Jared Spurgeon. No, it's not. Oh. What do you want to say about Jared Spurgeon? I don't know. I thought I heard you say S or J. I forget. Like, for some reason, my brain started auto-completing what you were going to say. Okay, so who is it on Minnesota you want to <laughs> talk about? It was a J, although we don't know how to pronounce his name. It could be Gerald, like in Joe Schmo 2, but it's okay. <laughs> Gerald Mayhew of the Minnesota Wild uh, getting his first NHL action at the age of 27 years old. He's a little guy, 5'9", buck 66 undrafted, but he's getting some solid deployment lately, playing on the top line in Minnesota in their last game with Fiala and Eric Stahl, and also seeing power play deployment on what is uh, like a sort of evenly distributed power play setup. Uh, he's, oh no, this is definitely power play too, with Zuccarello and Gal Chenyuk with him. So he's a centerman. I don't know if you want to like do anything about it until he starts doing something. But when he does do something, just remember that you heard it here first. In the AHL, by the way, he's conquered it. 61 points in 48 games this year. 60 points in 71 AHL games last year. Point per game in the AHL playoffs last season. So this Mayhew guy, uh, like, is this classic undersized uh, performer in the minors who has not yet gotten a chance to translate it to the bigs. He's getting a chance now, and I'm very interested to see what he'll do with it. Yeah, I mean, it's a crazy that I'm about to say this sentence, but the fact that he's playing with Kevin Fiala means <laughs> I'm interested. <laughs> like, so, yeah, someone definitely to watch. All right, so, Brian, that ends the Central Division. So we've got just a, you know, Corey Crawford versus Duncan Keith, it looks like. <laughs> How did that for- happen? Two Chicago players. I'll go Corey Crawford. Oh, ah, I think I have the medallion at this point. You take put, the medallion. 
I'm tired of talking about goalies. So uh, we like Crawford, but I want to put Keith forward. I think he's more interesting to compare against whatever other skaters go forward. Well, I guess we do have Corpusal. Okay, fine, fine. We'll do Crawford. No, no, do go- Keith. Follow your heart because we also have, we have a defenseman and a goalie. So we're going to be adding one of those two to the mix. That's true. Okay, so yeah, we'll put Keith against Alec Martinez at the end. That'll be fun to decide who goes to the final. Let's do that now. So we've got Duncan Keith, who becomes the top power play quarterback for sure with Gustafsson out, unless Boakvist takes it again. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen. You never know, though. Then Alec Martinez, just super solid in his new situation in Vegas. Who do you think is the more interesting guy rest of the season? Who is going to be the one who's worth adding now because he's going to be like owned everywhere by the end of the season? Uh, I think I'm going to go Duncan Keith here. I'm just kind of excited by his power play uh, setup. He's got five power play points now in his last five games. He's putting at least a couple shots on net each game. Uh, I'm a little worried that he's doing barely anything at five on five, but I just like the fact that like he's playing almost 30 minutes a night. Uh, so, like his last four, five games, he's played either somewhere between 27 and 29 minutes. So he is being workhorse Duncan Keith, which I'm happy to see the return of. We're seeing top power play quarterback Duncan Keith. Also happy to see the return of him. I am going to pick Duncan Keith. Would you agree? Sure, let's do it. Okay, so Duncan Keith is going to be in the finals of our important bracket, and he's going to go up against the winner of Eunice Corposalo versus whoever's going to come out of the Atlantic Division. So let's get into the Atlantic and fill this out. Uh, so let's start in Boston, just like Edmonton did for Connor McDavid. Boston has acquired a couple brand new line mates for David Krejci to play with. They got Andre Kasha, who we already talked about, and then later on they got Nick Ritchie from the Ducks, and in the latest game it was Krejci with Kasha and Ritchie, so Kasha's healthy. That's nice. Uh, but you know what? Andre Kasha has been doing nothing so far in the games that he's played. Like, no points in two games since coming back from this injury and playing with Krejci. Brian, are you ready to rescind all your excitement for Andre Kasha? To me, he's looking like a total streamer. He was just dropped in my cupful division, and I would be surprised if he gets picked up right away. Like, I think he's just the kind of guy you might add once in a while, just like anyone who plays with David Krejci on the second line. I'm not into him. I'm also not that into Nick Ritchie, I should say. He's, he had a one good game uh, with Boston, but aside from that, hasn't done much. So I think it's just typical goings-on on the Bruins where you have the top line and then maybe sometimes David Krejci as fantasy relevant, maybe sometimes Jake DeBrusque, and that's about it. Yeah, Kasha is now exactly where he was as a member of the Anaheim Ducks, which is a, a good spot start, although he was on a run in his last days in Anaheim. He had 15 shots in his last three games as a Duck. Uh, in his last two games, his only two games as a Bruin, he has totaled, as you said, three shots on goal. He only saw 12 and a half minutes of ice in his most recent one. So I think we are just back to looking at an Andre Kasha who could do stuff, but is not a safe enough bet to do stuff that you want to give him a full-time roster spot. Yeah, and Brian says he could do stuff because he's done it in the past. Who, who even knows if he can anymore? Maybe he's just kind of struggled with injuries and, and maybe he's just not the player that we thought he'd be. It's possible. He, but know. you see this run he was on before he left Anaheim, right? Yeah, he was taking those good shots. So you're right. He, Ma- had, he had nine points in 13 games, 41 shots in that stretch, averaging 18 minutes a night. I don't think he's going to get as maybe he's not going to get as much opportunity as Boston in Boston as we hoped. But I like that he's playing with David Krejci. Uh, I don't love that Nick Ritchie is the other option. I would love to see Jake DeBrusque be the third piece of that line. 
Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it changes around throughout the season. Though the Bruins are rolling, they're doing well. They have DeBrusque playing with Charlie Coyle, and it looks like Anders Bjork on a, on the third line, and we'll see what happens moving forward. So, okay, we'll have Kasha in this spot, and it sounds like we're not expecting him to move forward in the bracket. Uh, I'll mention another player on Boston whose situation hasn't changed, but Charlie McAvoy out of nowhere, is really on a run, right? He had a goal and two assists versus the Islanders. That brought him to three goals and six assists in his last nine games. Uh, so he's been a point per game. Like, this is a guy who was dropped in a lot of leagues at the start of the year. Now, all of a sudden, McAvoy's looking like the guy we kind of expected him to be. I'm almost disappointed that we didn't tell more people at the time that he was slumping that, now nah, he's still like a 40-point defenseman. Or, or did we say that? Seems like that's what he is, right? And he's just like rounding back into form. I think we did say that. I okay. think we sort of maintained that. I, it, like, he'd gone dark, and it was really disheartening especially because he had some opportunities when Tori Krug was injured. But he's been a pretty consistent producer now since... I don't even know when we last had that conversation because since December, he has rarely gone more than a couple games without a point. Yeah, so he's great. I guess I was really disheartened when Krug got injured and it was Matt Grizzlick taking over on the yeah. top power play. And I was like, ugh, Charlie McAvoy, he has no future. <laughs> but like, clearly he doesn't. Krug will be gone next year. Who knows? Maybe Matt Grizzlick doesn't hold that spot for a whole season. So maybe there's even more upside for Charlie McAvoy in the future. Still a young player. But okay, we need someone for Andre Kasha to go against in the Atlantic division of our bracket. And we'll go to Tampa Bay now. We already talked about them acquiring Blake Coleman, who finally got an assist yesterday. So good job, Blake Coleman. Uh, they also acquired Barkley Good drove from the Sharks to fill in some depth, which is nice to have, especially now that Steven Stamkos has been announced to be scheduled to miss six to eight weeks with core muscle injury. Ah, tough break for Stamkos owners who's pacing for another 95 plus point season. So yeah, now they have some depth, obviously no one that could replace Steven Stamkos, but just like whenever there's an injury on a team like Tampa, we got to look and see who took those sweet spots like with Kucherov in point and at even strength, it looks like it's been Andre Palat who has taken that line one spot and Palat scored a goal and took four shots yesterday in the win over Calgary. Looking like a pretty good ad at the moment. Or if you want to take a look at the power play, Tyler Johnson scored a goal from his new spot on the top power play with Kucherov, Sorelli, Point, and Mikhail Sergachev. By the way, Brian, this is something I just realized when I was looking yesterday at what the lines were. Victor Hedman now for two straight games has been bumped from the top power play from Mikhail Sergachev. So that's something interesting. So why don't we park that conversation for a second? Focus on the forwards. We got to pick someone to go against Andre Kasha here. It's looking to me like our typical Andre Palat or Tyler Johnson question. Sorelli's already been on the top power play, so I don't know if his situation changes that much. He seems like a guy that goes up and down, but it looks like we do have a significant change to both Palat and Tyler Johnson with Stamkos injured. So who do you like better moving forward between those two? And that person also is basically getting a bye because we already know we're going to like that player better than Andre Kasha. Oh, but will we? Okay. Yes, we will. Okay. okay go. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll just say Palat over Tyler Johnson. I don't. I don't have a reason to. Uh, just generally over the last however long, both these guys are not players you want to end up relying on. They're guys who are great to add for a game or two, and you hope they catch fire while they're on your roster. I feel like this is one of the top five conversations we have on keeping Carlson. Oh, which one of Johnson or Palat has done something worthwhile in the last two weeks? And it's like go add that guy, and then he stops doing it. Yeah, but don't forget, Stamkos now is going to be gone basically the rest of the regular season. Well, yeah, okay, that's it, right? And then maybe even the playoffs, but who cares about that for fantasy purposes? Uh, so if you could have a guy playing on the top line with Point and Kucherov, who knows if it lasts, but for now, I think you got to grab Palat, especially because the power play, I think, is more likely to churn a little bit, while maybe the top line stays the same, though. Who knows? I could be wrong. Then let's take a look. So this is outside of the bracket, because this would be a bracket breaker, of course. Obviously, Mikhail Sergachev, if he holds this spot on the top power play... 
He's the biggest gainer of the week by far. That would be huge. And I didn't even see this coming. Like so, and by the way, Circuit have two power places yesterday. That ended a five-game pointless streak. Hedman was pointless yesterday, but has eleven points in eleven games. Uh, before yesterday so it's like Hedman was doing great Sergachev was doing nothing kind of like a Nick Ehlers situation in Winnipeg where it's like I shouldn't be concerned about Victor Hedman except I don't like the fact that he's been bumped from his top power play spot on the lightning so Brian do you think this could last uh is you know Sergachev now a must-add ASAP in case it does I see obviously yes right he's probably owned in a lot of leagues anyways I feel like for leagues where Sergachev is not owned in as a speculative ad you have to get him in then also is Hedman maybe someone you sell ASAP, like especially in a keeper league, maybe no one's noticed yet. Like I hadn't noticed until I just looked at those lines. If if someone hasn't noticed yet that Hedman is off the top power play, this could be the kind of thing that's like forever now. <laughs> you know, like maybe Sergachev is now going to hold this spot for the rest of his career, and maybe Hedman is now just a second power play guy, and now's your last chance to sell him as a top guy. Maybe I'm overreacting though. That feels a little dramatic, but uh, if Sergachev is available in your league, and he very well might be, he is, I'm just looking up his percent owned here. Uh, in my Kikupful league, unfortunately, he is owned, but uh, he's 74% owned in Yahoo. So I guess there's not much chance he's available, which is unfortunate because he does seem to be how Tampa Bay is looking to solve their top power play struggles. They were on a six for 66 power play drought. This was treated by uh, Joe Smith TB on Twitter, one of the lightning beat writers, and said uh, that's why uh, Sergeyev was put on the top unit to try and shake things up after a long run of uh, mediocrity by the top unit. So Sergeyev gets on the unit for one game. Uh, the the Lightning get two power play goals in that game, go two for four after going six out of 66. You have to imagine Sergeyev is going to be up there for as long as that power play one keeps producing, which is uh, very exciting, except for Hedman owners. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not, like, obviously, I'm saying to get a big haul for Victor Hedman while you still can. So even in the worst case, if I'm wrong and Hedman ends up back on the top power play, you know, you got fair value for him in your trade, hopefully. So you're not like kicking yourself, but you never know. His value might go down a little bit and now might be your last chance to trade him in a keeper league. So something to keep in mind, just something that came to my mind anyways. And then also one last thing on Tampa, Andre Vasilevsky has put up four straight sub 800 save percentage games. Now uh, he did this last year. Remember, Brian, like, kind of flubbing things up down the stretch after having a great season for the most part? This season, Vasilevsky also had a rough start, and now he's having a rough end. We'll see if he could bounce back, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. I think Tampa's been riding him too hard, to be honest. He's played 48 games. He's among the league leaders. He's tied for fifth in games played, tied with Gibson. Like, I thought the whole point of them acquiring Curtis McElhenney, who played a lot last season, was so Vas could rest a bit more. Uh, but I guess not, and hopefully it's not catching up to him, and maybe... Because Tampa, you know, this is their window. Like, they should be really good this year. And they'll, they're will they going to need Vasilevsky at the top of his game. And I don't know if he is right now. And a bummer for fantasy, right? Don't draft goalies too high. You know, he's been great for you. He's going to get you to the playoffs. And then he might let you down. And you'll wish you had drafted, you know, David Pasternak or whoever you could have had in that spot. Oh, for sure. Never draft a goalie ahead of David Pasternak or anyone who's going to score, I'd say, over 35 goals. McElhenney just hasn't been the backup, I think, that Tampa hoped he'd be. 908 save percentage on the year, which is just a little bit below average. And you know what? That is high enough that they could say, hey, Andre, rest a bit. Uh, he's on pace to play about as many games as he did last year. In fact, he might play more, although last year he missed time because of injury. Uh, but Vasilevsky has already played 48 games this season compared to last year's 50. 53 and the priors 65 so you i don't know it is it is weird that tampa seemed to think 
like remember at the start of preseason or or training camp when they had like six backup goalies on their roster that they wanted to create some internal competitions so that they knew they could have someone to spell him. It's strange that they're not taking advantage of that a little more. Yeah, I I really hope it works out for them. I would love to see this Tampa team go far in the playoffs as they seem like they deserve to do, but I just don't know right now. Hopefully Vasilevsky will bounce back. I think he could use some rest. Uh, okay, so we've got Palat moving forward in this bracket in his matchup against Andre Kasha. So let's now go to... Okay, well, next is Toronto in the standings. Not, not really a big change in fantasy impact. Unfortunately, Jake Muzzin is out four weeks with a broken hand, but, you know, Tyson Barry wasn't traded, so he's still on the top power play. Rasmus Sandin not doing too much. So it just kind of sucks, maybe, like, mostly for the goalies on, on Toronto. Like, Frederick Anderson continues to struggle. We had an okay game yesterday. He started badly and then did well and got the win over the Canucks. Uh, so I'm not really seeing anyone to put in the bracket here over in Toronto. No, but I will throw a name out there for those in deeper leagues with peripherals. How about Martin Marinson? I'm not going uh, crazy about the goal he scored last night on Saturday. That seems to be an aberration. Not going to count on that continuing. But he has six hits and nine blocks over his last two games and he is playing more minutes in the absence of Jake Muzzin. He's been over 20 minutes uh, both of those games and he had not been over 20 minutes at all this season before that. In fact, he'd been very far from 20 minutes a lot of the time. So if he keeps seeing that amount of ice time and putting up hits and blocks in that ice time, he might be someone worth looking at in depth bangers leagues. Okay, Martin Marinson, you heard it here first. Uh, he, his name sounds familiar. Isn't he the guy that was like too highly rated on yeah. Yahoo one year? So he was owned in every league. He was like the canary in the coal mine for, or that's the wrong uh, metaphor to be using. But essentially, if he was owned in your Yahoo league, that's how you knew you were in a clown league. Because he was like rated too high and auto-drafted by someone who then never actually went to drop him. Right. Either you were in a clown league or just you had one player in your league that wasn't paying attention to their roster. That's a good sign that you should probably find a new owner. Okay, so let's go to Florida. Uh, and we talked about how they traded away Vincent Trocek. They did get back Eric Howla, and Howla's just stepped right into where Trocek was, uh, centering Hoffman and Achari. And Howla had an assist versus Toronto on Thursday. No points, but six shots on goal in Florida's game on Saturday. He's also had two hits in each of these games. So Brian, maybe Howla is the new Trocek now? Like if Trocek was worth owning before. Now Howla is. Seems pretty much like a Nick Cage, John Travolta face-off situation. If you ask me, now all of a sudden Eric Howla is going to go hang out with <laughs> Vincent Trocek's family, and who knows what's going to happen from there. Yeah, we've talked about how we like Howla's upside if he's got exposure to at least one good winger, uh, and he's got that in Mike Hoffman. So maybe he can make more of it than Trocek was making, but like Trocek, not a slam dunk. I, I really like the face-off analogy, especially because they're both centermen. Well, they're at, they're the same everything. They're both everything. And they both were playing with Mike Hoffman. You said Mike Hoffman is good. He's not good. He's great. He scored, <laughs> he's scored in five straight games now. He's on a seven game point streak. So good. Like way to go, Mike Hoffman. And uh, I think I'd rather have Eric Howla than Vincent Trocek in fantasy right now for the rest of the season. But we'll see if we'd rather have Eric Howla than this person that we're going to compare him to in our bracket, someone from Montreal. So Montreal were sellers at the deadline, right? They shipped out Ilya Kovalchuk. Uh, Jonathan Drouin is injured again. So that has left Max Domi to play with recently outjured Paul Byron and Jordan Wheel. And guess what? Somehow this is working. <laughs> Finally, Max Domi's back on track. He scored versus the Canes yesterday to extend his point streak to five games. Unfortunately, this is after I dropped him in the cupful. So if I lose, that'll be another reason why. Uh, and Paul Byron now in the six games since, since he's returned, 
two goals and three assists. So, Brian, with Suzuki and Armia having slowed down a lot lately, maybe Byron and Domi are the two new Habs forwards you want to own, like, outside of the top line. Is there any chance that this run for both of them is somewhat for real? I'm going to put Paul Byron in the bracket as someone whose maybe fantasy value has changed a lot over the past week because he's back playing finally, and he's doing really well, almost a point per game. Absolutely. I, I don't think there's much more to say. We've talked about Byron in the past is a good complimentary piece in a middle six because he can go on little runs like this one. It is funny that playing with Paul Byron is, is, is what seems to be getting Max Domi going. Remember we were talking about, well, maybe when Duran's back, Domi will do better. That had no impact. In fact, Duran is now, uh, like he hasn't played the last two games and he is pointless in his last 10 games seeing most mostly less than 15 minutes a night. So I would, is this too hard to take? I would drop Jonathan Duran for Paul Byron because I oh, expect yeah. to, I expect to drop Paul Byron too, but uh, at least in the short term, I'm getting something from Byron. I mean, well, Duran's injured, but yeah, like if you don't have Even an Even if IR he's healthy spot, next game. Yeah, forget about Duran. Yeah. He's nothing at this That's point. That's the point. Though I said that about Max Domi, and look at me now. So you never know, but for now, I definitely would prefer Byron. But Brian, what about Paul Byron versus Eric Halla in our bracket? Who do you think is going to have the bigger impact for the rest of the season? I'm going to go Eric Halla because he gets to play with Mike Hoffman on a team that is not over him. In Carolina, he was getting uh, the short shift, or the short stick is what I meant to say. The short straw. Uh, towards the end of his time in Carolina. It's like they were only playing him to showcase him. They'd sort of signaled that they were ready to move on from him. So now he gets a new lease on life in Florida, and I love that six-shot game that he just had there. So absolutely, I would move Eric Haola ahead of Paul Byron. Okay, I I don't know. I'm kind of into Byron right now. He also helps more in bangers leagues, but I'm okay to go with Haula. Then Haula versus Andre Palat, who's going to go to the Atlantic Finals. I guess the Stamkos injury means uh, I'm going with Palat. Yeah, I guess you have to, right? It's just too good of a situation. It might change. Uh, low floor, but not too low of a floor. And Palat, yeah, I've got to love him on the Kucherov line. Okay, so let's go now to the rest of the teams in the Atlantic Division. So Buffalo had a big change, unfortunately, yesterday because Victor Olofsson suffered an apparent lower body injury during the second period versus Arizona. Uh, this was a, you know, on Saturday, like I said, and he was checked by forward Brad Richardson just in front of the Arizona bench. And the Sabres forward struggled to get off the ice and his right leg appeared to be the problem. So terrible news for Victor Olofsson. But Brian, get this. So, okay, sad for Olafson for sure. It was sad when he got injured before. I'd love to have seen what he could have done in a full, healthy rookie season. But believe it or not, Jeff Skinner actually got a shot on the top line and top power play yesterday with Olafson hurt. I thought this was never going to happen this year. Skinner also scored. <laughs> this is too crazy, but what? he scored a goal yesterday. That was his second straight game scoring a goal. He's also now taken eight and three shots in each of these last two games, 11 shots in his last two games, goals in his last two, now on the top line with Olafson injured. So I think there's a lot of leagues where Jeff Skinner is a free agent. Like we said on the podcast, like drop Jeff Skinner. He's useless. He's not doing anything. Doesn't seem like he's going to get on the top line. So if he's out there, grab him right away because this is huge, right? This is what we've wanted from him. Last year, he scored 40 goals from this spot playing with Eichel and Reinhardt. He may be back. Uh, who knows if this lasts? I don't even know, Brian, if you want to speculate, but I think you would agree with me that people need to rush out and grab Jeff Skinner ASAP, right? Oh, totally. If you see Jeff Skinner put up eight shots on goal, uh, you should run and go get him. That is by far, well, not by far, but it's definitely, he hasn't had an eight shot game since all the way back in October when he had a pair of nine shot games. So be very interested in Jeff Skinner getting a shot on the top line. 
Also keep an eye out for the other candidates to end up on the top line. Zemgisk or Gensens took turns on the top line without Skinner there. And uh, who else? Well, there's other names, like just new players on the team, right? Wayne Simmons. Wayne was Simmons was the other one, yeah. Also, Dominic Cahoon is in the picture now. He came in the Pittsburgh trade. So yeah, they have options. Right now, grab Skinner. But yeah, keep an eye on the line combinations in Buffalo. The beat writers there are really good. So if you follow at game day lines, you'll always see the Buffalo lines before a game. And we'll see who's going to be playing with Eichel in the next game. That's something I'm going to be watching closely. But Brian, let's put Jeff Skinner in the bracket for now. Because yeah, for sure. In fact, let's just put him forward a whole other matchup. He could get to the semifinals of the Atlantic Division. Because I can't think of anyone that's going to beat him. Except for maybe one of these competitors from the final couple of teams. So we go to Ottawa. Uh, They were sellers, right? They traded Peugeot. Also, Duclair is injured. Uh, So they called up Josh Norris and Bobby Ryan returned to the lineup after being gone for a while. And recently, both were playing with Brady Kachuk on the top line and top power play. Uh, Brian, you mentioned to me right before we started recording that Josh Norris has been sent down now to the minors. Yeah, and we'll see more of him next year, but he is going to be a key part of Belleville's Calder Cup run in the AHL. He's over a point per game in Belleville right now. So he came up, filled a role with the big club, but his time will hopefully be next year. Remember, he was one of the pieces that came back in the Eric Carlson trade. Oh, wow. That trade's starting to look good if they're going to get this first round pick from the Sharks. And they also have this Josh Norris. So not too shabby. Uh, then Bobby Ryan. Yeah, he had that hat trick on Thursday versus Vancouver. Not as much luck versus Detroit uh, on Saturday, but four shots and three hits and three blocks. If you would have added him, you weren't too disappointed. So do you think Bobby Ryan, now that he's back and playing with Brady Kachuk, getting a top line, top power play role, is there a chance Bobby Ryan could have a big impact for the rest of the year? Any chance that he's going to go far in this bracket? Big impact is a tall task for Bobby Ryan, but I feel like we're seeing a Bobby Ryan that we know very little about what to expect uh, from him. He's got 11 shots in his last three games, which are great shooting numbers that we hadn't seen from him for a little while. He's also seeing, like, he's not 20 minutes of ice against Detroit. So he's clearly got a new lease on life. Of course, he entered the NHL's substance abuse program, and he was very candid uh, before he came back about what that was for him and where his outlook is now. So I, I feel like I'm not going to, I'm not going to say we're seeing a brand new Bobby Ryan, but we're definitely in a feeling out phase because I think it's been a while since Bobby Ryan has felt or been this healthy. So let's see what happens over the next few games. And why not see what he's doing for as long as he's playing on the top line with Brady Kachuk? Uh, I wonder who the third piece of that line is going to be. Chris Tierney. Yeah, or maybe Anthony Duclair ends up there if he's healthy soon enough. So uh, so as long as Bobby Ryan's in a place in the lineup where he can get uh, more than 15 minutes a night, is playing with one bona fide score, and has taken a few shots on goal, he could be a good deeper option. Yeah, don't forget that they need to have a center, probably, on that line. So I don't know if it could be Duclair, Kachuk, and Ryan. I don't think either of them are centers. So it might be like a, a Nisimov, Tierney, <laughs> I don't know. Colin White is injured again, so who knows? But anyways... So Bobby Ryan is going to go in our bracket matchup against Philip Hironik, who returned to the wings this week after being out four games with an upper body injury. Now Mike Green, like we said, is gone. So there's no competition for the top power play spot anymore. Not that Green was much competition, yeah. but just saying. Uh, power places for Hironik yesterday in the 4-3 shootout loss versus Ottawa. Uh, Hironik was really slowed down. Like Before he got hurt, he only had three assists in 14 games. Still on a 40-point pace overall, which like shows how well he was doing for most of the season before the slump. But the Red Wings have really slowed down. 
down. So it's hard to get too, too excited about Philip Hironic. What do you think? Is it, are we looking at like a 30 point guy, a 40 point guy, a 50 point guy rest of the season? Like I feel like there could be arguments made for any of those numbers. And I'm curious to know how excited you are about him if he was dropped when he was injured. I dropped him in one of my leagues because I ran out of IR spots when he got hurt and he still hasn't been added for what it's worth. I don't think anything's really changed about Ronick. He's on a team that is awful, like one of the worst teams of the last decade. If it weren't for those awful Sabres teams right after the lockout shortened season, uh, we'd be talking about Detroit as one of the worst teams in the last 10 years. So when you have anyone on that team, you're a little concerned that they're going to be able to produce, let alone a 22-year-old in his sophomore season who gets the quarterback a power play that is not very good or loaded. So that's what you're getting with Philip Ronick this season. I don't think his outlook has changed a whole lot since Mike Green left. He'd been on the power play anyway. And right now he's on a 40 point pace. I don't see much reason to feel like that's going to change. Okay, so then if we want to now compare Hironic to Bobby Ryan on our bracket of who's going to have the bigger impact for the rest of the season... Uh, who who you got? Which is a different question than we were asking at the start of this bracket. Which makes okay, so no, who's gonna have the bigger change in what they've been doing so far? Bobby Ryan. I think Ronick is gonna do exactly what he's been doing. Okay, well, like I said, he's been slumping. So you're saying he's gonna continue slumping all like season? He- no, so all season long. Okay, well, I was thinking. Anyways, this is like really getting into the weeds here. So fine, Bobby Ryan now versus Jeff Skinner. Gotta go with Skinner. Just going because- with Skinner. It's exciting. I mean, it's possible that Skinner's just back on the second line in the next game, and it is like, you know, Dominic Cahoon playing with Eichel and Reinhardt. I totally wouldn't be surprised if that happens, but just for the excitement of it, I gotta go with Jeff Skinner. And now, here we go, Skinner playing with Eichel, and now Palat playing with Kucherov, who's gonna come out as the winner in the Atlantic Division? It feels like Palat has a longer leash, but he'll also do less with whatever time he does have in that ultimate, like fantastic deployment so this is a really tough one i think uh i don't know you go i mean yeah i kind of want to say skinner just because i'm excited but i don't want to really let people down but also i don't think anyone cares too much (laughs) nobody cares all right so let's move skinner forward and he goes and wins the atlantic division are you cool with that i'm cool with that so he faces off are we why we're doing atlantic versus central so no, well, we already put Keith forward in the central and we put him as the winner versus Alec Martinez in the Pacific, which leaves uh, Jeff Skinner versus Corpusalo, who came out of the Metropolitan Division. So who's going to have the bigger uh, change in their value rest of season between Corpusalo and Skinner? Skinner going to go the distance? Jeff Skinner. Like this is a huge potential for a player to regain the upside he had at the start of his season, just like Duncan Keith at the start of last season, who, uh, funny enough, he's up against in our final. If you agree with me about Jeff Skinner. Sure. All right. So we've got Skinner versus Keith for the winner of the post-trade deadline, keeping Carlson March Madness bracket for biggest change in value due to what happened in the past week. Jeff Skinner versus Duncan (laughs) Keith. Here we go. It's Jeff Skinner. Maybe this is just because we've had less time. That's as far as he goes. That's as far as he goes, I think. You think so? Duncan Keith is now on the top power play. He's got on a good roll. Like, maybe Jeff Skinner has a higher upside, but he could... I I can't put him any farther because it's literally been half a game that he was on the top line. Okay, fair enough, right? He could get that all pulled out from under him, whereas Duncan Keith seems pretty entrenched in his new, uh, well-worn deployment. Okay, so you're good with this, Duncan Keith? Duncan Keith is the winner of the ambiguous bracket challenge, keeping Carlson 2020. 
Good job, Duncan <laughs> Keith. But obviously, everyone should go grab Jeff Skinner just in case if you have an open spot. Uh, you could tweet at us at Keith and Carlson if you want to ask us a question. Should I drop this guy for Skinner or for Keith or for any of the other players we talked about in this episode? We'd love to hear from you. So yeah, tweet at us at Keith and Carlson. Or like I said, you can sign up as a patron for Keith and Carlson. Join our awesome Facebook community. Take a free trial for this month. You sign up now. You don't have to decide until the end of the month whether you want to continue to donate five measly dollars a month by Brian or I a beer once a month to thank us and help us support the show. Uh, but yeah, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. We'll get you in the Facebook group or again, tweeted us at Keeping Carlson. Thanks everyone so much for listening. We're in the home stretch now. Fantasy playoffs are upon us. Good luck to everyone. If you've made it, if you didn't, there's always next year, okay? But we're going to be back at you every week with new episodes and plus we've got the short shifts still coming for the rest of the year. So Brian, uh, why don't we cue the outro music? And you could read the credits for this week's show. All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our newest ones, David and Kenneth. Thank you so much for showing your support for what we do. If you want to do the same, patreon.com slash keeping Carlson. Logo art for our show by Brandon Weeb. Outro music by uh, whoever made the March Madness music, apparently. And Elon's phone. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo. Elon, do you have your yes. flute nearby? Uh, oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> Should I grab it? Can you play the NCAA March Madness okay. theme on your flute? All right, so anyone who wants to stop the podcast now, you can stop it now. I won't be offended. But uh, Brian, why don't you kill some time while I go grab my flute? Okay, something uh, those who aren't patrons or haven't been patrons of the show for very long might know is that Elon is a flutist, and he also has perfect pitch. He was born with the gift of being able to identify pitches and notes of music and to play completely by ear. Uh, so we are moments away from his first public flute debut where he plays. I don't even know what this theme music is, to be honest. It sounds like every generic, like it sounds like the NFL on whatever channel. But this is me as a Canadian, right? All I know is the Hockey Night in Canada theme, which, of course, Elon can also play on his flute. If you're still listening, good for you, because I was not very entertaining in that bit. So thank goodness Elon is back Flute oh, you weren't hand. entertaining there? Does that mean I'm going to have to edit stuff? Uh, Well, no. I mean, I was talking, but I was really just killing time. Flautist. Okay. Ben is in the live chat, and he says the term is flautist. Yeah. Brian, you're, you know, you're a professional podcaster <laughs> of like six years. I thought you would have been able to handle this. But, I mean, uh, you'll listen back and you'll see. Okay. I, I'm excited for it. Okay, here we go. Actually, how does the song... Da, 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 da. What's the next part? Da, 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 da. <laughs> that's a different theme song right i don't know and that's nba okay that didn't go well thanks everyone for listening and we will catch you all next week until then keep on keeping carl son bye in your ir